such a good guy. If you Madam Chair, the room is ready. Thank you. <coughs> and do a check here. Can everybody hear me? Great. Thank you and welcome to the May 22nd meeting of the Planning Commission. Uh, before we get started here, we're going to have Ellie read the rules of hybrid meetings, please. Ellie Mullins, Planner. I will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the Chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and channel cable, uh, cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to be heard during the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to me. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I will turn the meeting back to Chair Ashworth. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, first order of business is to receive and amend or approve the minutes from last month's meeting. Do I have any amendments or motions? For the minutes. Move we approve. Second. Motion approved and seconded. Any further discussion? Jeff, could you call the vote, please? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Abstain. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes eight, uh, excuse me, motion passes eight to zero. Thank you. Uh, now we move on to committee reports. Um, do we have any reports from the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization? No. Um, any report from the Land Development Code Update Steering Committee? They haven't told us anything. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And any uh, report from the Wind Regulation Subcommittee? Yes. We have uh, continued to work um, in our weekly rhythm of meetings. And in the past month, um, we've progressed through roughly, uh, well, not quite at 50% mark um, in the regulations. Um, we've met with uh, members of the Douglas County uh, Rural Preservation Association, Kansas Department of Wildlife, with Chad Voigt on roads and, uh, and uh, stormwater. Um, this week, Thursday, we'll continue the conversations with experts uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, some, getting some feedback from Black and Beach on a, a host of topics. We've, we've uh, contracted with them to provide some engineering support to us. Um, so just good progress. We have quite a bit of work in front of us yet. Any little uh, Additions to that team? Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you. I mean, um, I, I overlooked on, uh, regarding the Metropolitan Planning Organization. Um, we did um, uh, approve the creation of a steering committee for the, uh, I think it's called the um, Plan Zero uh, Safety Approach uh, by the City of Lawrence. And um, uh, the MPO will be reaching out to various uh, civic um, and, uh, and government organizations throughout the city to um, uh, guide the uh, update to that plan. 
Thank you. Thank you all for your reports. Um, next is communications. Um, do we have any uh, written communications to receive from the public? All communications were included as part of your packet. Do we have any written communications to receive from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? None this evening. Um, do we need to receive any written action of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? Also none this evening. Okay. Any disclosure of ex parte communications? Yes. Now. So yes, I met with um, someone regarding item number four, but I don't think that there's anything I, I learned. It was just a tour mm -hmm. of the of some property and her thoughts, which I think she provided um, in, in the <coughs> as well. Thank you. Um, any declaration of abstentions from a specific agenda item? Seeing none. Um, now is the time for general public comment. This is an opportunity for the public to comment on something that is not on the agenda this evening. Is there anybody here for general public comment for anything not related to what is on the agenda this evening? Seeing none, we will just move on to our regular agenda then. <coughs> uh, first item up, item number one, is to consider approving a special use permit for manufacturing and production, limited use in the downtown commercial district. The staff presenting this is Avery Kerner. Thank you, Chair, and good evening, Commissioners. My name is Avery Kerner, and I work in the planning department. As the Chair mentioned, I'll be presenting the first item before you this evening. The special use application before you is for a request to allow the manufacturing and production limited use at 947 New Hampshire Street. The application proposes a small-scale beverage and bottling operation to produce canned cocktails to distribute and sell off-site at the adjacent Replay Lounge and at liquor stores. The subject property is located near the intersection of 10th and New Hampshire and contains an existing four-story multi-use building. The property is zoned downtown commercial and is located within the boundaries of the downtown urban conservation overlay district. The proposed manufacturing and production operation would occupy approximately 2,800 square feet on the ground floor of the existing building and was identified as suite 100 on the site plan accompanying this request. Special use applications require the planning commission's review and recommendation of the request in accordance with the review and decision-making criteria provided in the staff report. The City Commission is the final decision-making body, and the Planning Commission may recommend that the City Commission approve, approve with conditions, or deny the special use application. Based on the analysis and findings presented in the staff report, staff is of the opinion that the proposed special use would be compatible with the existing land uses in the area and would be an appropriate use for the site with certain, with certain conditions. First, staff recommends that the manufacturing and production limited use be restricted to a specific suite and floor area to prevent expansion of the operation into other areas of the building without further review. Staff also recommends a third condition, which is to place a five-year time limit on the approval of the special use. While the intent of this special use application is to accommodate the proposed beverage and bottling operation, Approval of the special use application would be for the code-defined manufacturing and production limited use and not a specific business or occupant. Approval of the special use application would run with the land, so placing a five-year time limit on approval will help to prevent 
a more intense and potentially incompatible manufacturing and production operation from occupying the tenant space in the future if the space were to become available. The full findings of that can be found in the staff report within your packet. And based on those findings, staff recommends approval of the proposed special use application and forwarding to the city commission a recommendation of approval for the manufacturing and production limited use at 947 New Hampshire Street, subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. With that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Avery. Um, I believe the applicant is with us this evening, Patrick Watkins of Watkins Law Office. Yeah, good evening, commissioners. Uh, Patrick Watkins, I'm a land use attorney here in town. I'm here on behalf of Nick Carroll. He is the proprietor at Replay Lounge. Um, Avery has done a, a very nice job with her report, even after I tried to convince her that this was not manufacturing. Um, she stuck with it, and she's done a great job. Um, <laughs> This is a great project. I should say that Nick has a graduation ceremony for his daughter tonight, or else he'd be here. Um, but this is a great project. I don't know that you're going to see a more local project than this. Uh, we're talking about a small-scale canning operation for a cocktail. And then there's only four products right now um, that was born out of the pandemic. And we can all try and remember a few years ago that we may not want to. Uh, the bars were able to, to can some of their own cocktails and sell them curbside. And so this project was born out of that. Um, it developed an appreciation from the visitors and patrons at the replay. Um, and Nick is doing uh, what he can to follow the rules, uh, both with the state uh, and with the local planning requirements. Um, This is more likely to be viewed from the exterior of the building as an office use. There's only a few employees that are gonna be working here. There's relatively limited pickups and drop-offs. I think most uh, onlookers and passers-by will probably consider this to be office, most likely. So I don't really consider this to be a special use, particularly more than a unique use, and one that's very local, um, and we think there's uh, very little reason to, to oppose it. Um, but I won't belabor the discussion. Um, we find staff's recommendations to be suitable. The one note I would make, and I didn't get with Avery on this, and I, and I apologize, is that Nick's lease run, runs for seven years. Um, I'd hate for him to have to come back here um, for a $750 fee to get it approved for two more years if he has to. I don't know if that seven years is appropriate, um, but I think that's one adjustment that could be made. I think it's not a huge deal. Um, his lease is for a uh, shorter time period, but he has options to expand into seven years. Um, so that's one, uh, one adjustment that could be made that I think it would make it you know, just perfect for Nick. Um, but if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer. Thank you. And now I'll ask for any public comment on item number one. Is there anybody um, in the room this evening that would like to comment on item number one? Well, is there anybody online that would like to comment on item number one? Seeing none, um, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. I have a question, Chair. Yes, Commissioner Munch. Yes, uh, question for the applicant. Uh, I appreciate that this is a, a smaller scale operation and it's gonna, there's not gonna be too many disruptions within the neighborhood, but it, to confirm, are there any odors or noises or anything else that would emanate from the building as a result of this use? No. 
uh, none that we're aware of. We'll go through the building permit process because there's a change in use. Um, we'll get the full review from staff and, and codes. Um, they'll look at everything from hoods, vents, sprinklers, that sort of thing. Um, but they were doing this at the replay lounge um, before, so right. we don't expect that there'll be any new complaints. Um, we are Thanks. fully aware that there are <coughs> three stories of residential, two stories of residential above this so, as well. Thank you. Other questions from the commission? Just click yeah. in just a minute. To, go ahead. Oh. Click in for just a minute. Um, what kind of equipment will be there, Patrick? Um, it's being finalized right now, but uh, electric stovetop, for one thing, it's just a one burner. Um, and then it's really a mixing operation more than anything else. Um, they take uh, the different ingredients, put them together, and then there's a, there's a canning uh, process. It all can take place in just a couple thousand square feet, so we're not talking about anything dramatically big, but it's a couple of vats and one burner. Do you imagine distribution beyond the replay lounge? Yeah, he has to go through a whole, there's a process for this that the state has really encouraged him to do. Um, I think they like the visibility of this project in particular, but he has to go through a second party just to get it over to the replay lounge. And he intends to sell it at some other bars. Um, and some <laughs> other bars have indicated that they will do it, uh, or they do intend to sell the, the product, but um, we're not talking about more than a couple thousand cases at this point. Um, so very small operation. All right, thank you. Don't go. Yep, you got it, I'll stay. <clears throat> what kind of trucks are we looking at? Um, I'd be thinking it's like one of those Ford open from the back. Um, you know, it's not really a truck. It's more of a, um, a hybrid type vehicle. Um, but you wouldn't need any loading equipment or anything like that. Okay. Um, very small scale. No double wheels or anything like that. And if we were to consider extending the special use permit to seven years, would you be amenable to um, a review at a shorter time just to make sure everything's set up the way it's supposed to be? Yeah, that sounds suitable. Okay. Thanks. Oh, and just on a side note, I found out in 2015 even taking honey out of frames and putting it in jars is considered... <laughs> Oh, distilling or limited scale manufacturing. <laughs> so anytime you put a product from one one stage into a container to sell it, triggers this code section. Is my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of canning that happens downtown. There's a lot of processes at the restaurants in Black Stag and Free State that all happen in the commercial district. Um, well, you know, Free State's got their own place off of 19th Street, too, so. Yeah. But I know they're doing it down there also. Uh, so it's, uh, the alley, is that where cars will primarily park for loading and unloading? Is, is, is it the alley primarily, or where? Yeah, they'll pull up in the alley just like they would for any business downtown. And we're not talking about a lot. I, I don't think there's more than a couple per month. Gotcha, and how does, how does uh, like if there's a an emergency? How does that? I mean, how does that work? Are the alleys ever? Do you know? Are the alleys ever used for like fire trucks and things like that, or is that? Do we know? The, they are. I mean, they're public okay. streets, but um, it's probably a topic of some right discussion among. But they're used for restaurants and right. bars and right. businesses right. all along there. Uh, right. And you're not expecting a lot of traffic. It's just you said once or twice a month. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. And the employees will park in the public parking downtown. The alleys are used for emergency vehicles if it's necessary. You might see an Evergy truck that's going to change a transformer or if there's a, a call that requires the fire truck to go in and kind of take a look there. But really, the alleys are also a loading and unloading zone. So you'll see a lot of that going on on, on the streets just to keep it off of, you know, the, the numbered streets and also your state streets there. Thank you. You could have a busy restaurant in the same location without any permitting that would have as much or more traffic. Uh, is that the thought? You know, restaurants, my, I've never run a restaurant, so I can't say this for, with a lot of knowledge, but when I talk to people, restaurants tend to have about maybe, you know, a daily load that will come by, and it's usually a larger size semi-truck, depending upon the type of the restaurant, but they will also tend to schedule their frequencies a little either early in the morning or kind of in those like really early, kind of just after 9 o'clock hours when the restaurants are just gearing up to open up. So there is a bit of a staggering that will occur. So even if there is some some conflict in the loading, the alleys have always been able to accommodate that or if there is a, you know, a fluke instance and there's Evergies were placing a transformer, there are some parking spaces along the street that may also be available to, to use and to. Mm -hmm. just this is Avery Kerner. Oh. Oh. Yes, Avery. Sorry, I just wanted to add real quick. Um, I didn't uh, find a good place to put it in the staff report, but thought it worth mentioning now that uh, <coughs> if this use were proposed at the same scale, uh, same footprint uh, outside of the downtown commercial district in a zoning district where the the loading standards of the land development code were um, applicable, the there actually would the size of the, the and the footprint of the proposed special use wouldn't trigger the requirement to provide any uh, additional off-street loading spaces. And um, so, again, going back to it, the the scale of it really um, does lend itself to having few fewer deliveries. Thank you. Um, I would just suggest that this is an excellent way to expand a local business um, downtown um, using existing space. Um, so I think this is an excellent project to support. Are there any concerns about uh, the request to go from a five-year to a seven-year limit? I think the review right. um, mm -hmm. yeah. would be perfectly fine. <clears throat> Is there a review that normally occurs in that period of time, or does that need to be conditioned in? I would request to be conditioned in. I mean, typically, with, if you had a, an even year numbers, you know, you do a five-year review on a 10-year special use would be kind of your midway point on that one being seven years. You could condition it that it occurs, you know, during year three or four, depending on, on your preference for that. Would someone like to voice that in a motion? Well, I, w I would just suggest year three, just to make sure we got everything in place and complying with code, because they should be up and running pretty well by then. And I know this is going to have all the extra regulations from the state on top of whatever the city has. So I'm pretty comfortable with it. It's a great use for underutilized space. Nothing has survived there. <laughs> so it's a good use. Would anybody care to voice a motion with um, the amendment of the review and the permit length, length of the permit? I can try. Um, 
I move uh, approval of special use permit SUP 23-00116 for manufacturing and production limited use <clears throat> in the CD-UC Downtown Urban Conservation Overlay District located at 947 New Hampshire Street and forward to the City Commission with a recommendation of approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions in that staff report with an modification to the duration moving from five years to seven years and adding a condition for a review in the third year of operation. Is that adequate? Commissioner Rexer, is that also to adopt um, conditions one and two as specified in the staff report? Yes, yes, I, I think I said that uh, with the conditions presented in the staff report with these one change and one addition. With the modification to condition three. Correct. From five to seven years with a three-year review. Correct. Okay. I'll second that. Okay, first and seconded motion. Any further discussion? Seeing none, could you call the vote, Jeff? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Thanks everyone. Thank you. All right, moving on to item number two. We will consider approving a special use permit for a group home in general use on approximately 0.13 acres located at 1046 New Hampshire Street. Mary Miller is the planner for this project. Good evening, Commissioners. <clears throat> Mary Miller, and I will be sharing my screen. Um, Okay, and as you mentioned, this is a special use permit for a group home general. The development code has two types of group homes. We have group home limited, which has no more than 10 occupants with eight of them being residents with some sort of special needs. And uh, those are allowed in any district that allows detached dwellings with no special planning approvals. However, if you have more occupants, such as this one, then it would be called a group home general. And these require a special use permit in the districts in which they are permitted. And the special use permit is intended to ensure compatibility with nearby land uses given the higher occupancy of the home. 1046 New Hampshire is in the northeast corner of New Hampshire and West 11th Street. It is just across the street from the Douglas County Judicial Center. And as I mentioned, this is a, for a group home general. They intend to have 11 residents and two staff. This would be a woman's sober living group home for women with substance abuse problems, with addictions or alcoholism, just as the Oxford houses throughout the city. The applicant provided a use narrative with their application and the handbook that they would operate from. And the intent is to have the facility be operated by Lorraine House in Kansas City for the first two years. And then the applicant may take over or keep Lorraine House as the operator. Um, they have experience with operating these and so they indicated they'd like to have them do it at first. The applicant reached out to the neighborhood with a letter which was included in the agenda packet and hosted an open house. And the property is developed with a residence. It was built in the early 1900s, I believe 1905 is the year 
that uh, we've gotten. And it extends from New Hampshire Street on the west to the alley on the east. No exterior changes are being proposed to the existing structure or the site, with the exception of one ADA accessible parking space. This property is in the CD or downtown commercial district, which does not require <laughs> off-street parking. But if you do provide off-street parking, you have to have the ADA accessible parking required. And so this property was um, site planned years ago as an office building for a law office, and they provided these parking spaces. So since there are off-street parking spaces, they were required to convert one to an ADA van accessible space, and that primarily was just done through reconfiguring of the parking spaces. The property is located at the intersection of several zoning districts. As I said, it's in the downtown commercial district with the urban conservation overlay. To the south is a GPI, general public institutional use district with the urban conservation overlay district. And then to the east, it is adjacent to REM 12 or multi-dwelling. The graphic on the bottom right side shows all the historic resources in the area. The blue areas are historic properties, the reddish areas are historic districts, and the stippled area is the urban conservation overlay district. And this subject property is within the environs of several and also within the urban conservation district. So HRC or historic resources um, review was required and they considered the special use permit at their April 20th meeting and they had no comments. One of the um, provisions we look at with uh, special use permits, the first review criteria is whether or not it is compliant with the provisions of the development code. And as noted in the staff report, the lot and the structure comply with the dimensional requirements with the exception that the house was built uh, within what is now the current side setback of 12 feet. Um, there's about four feet of side setback provided. The house was built in about 1905 and zoning in the city, our first zoning regulations were in the late 1920s. So this situation would be a non-conforming structure or what is commonly called grandfathered, which means it can continue to be used um, there are some limits to expansion, and if it were damaged to more than 60% of its fair market value, it would either need to be built um, per the dimensional standards or obtain a variance from those standards. As I mentioned, no parking is required, but since they do have off-street parking, they are going to provide the one ADA accessible space. And then we look at what is the compatibility with nearby uses, which is one of the principal reasons for the special use permit. Um, compatibility is measured in terms of the scale or design of the structure, as well as any negative external impacts the use might generate, such as lighting, noise, traffic, etc. As the structure has been in place for over 100 years, the area has developed with it or around it, and so um, it's an established feature of the area and would continue to be compatible. As the proposed use is residential in nature, the operating characteristics would be similar to the uses to the east. Um, as I mentioned, the use would have 11 residents and two staff. And so if we compare that with the residential lots to the east, which are outlined in bold, um, the lot directly to the east, uh, these are all the same size. It has three detached dwellings, which are each permitted to have four unrelated adults, and that's the maximum. So um, a total of 12 unrelated adults would be possible on this property. Um, it has been divided into parcels for a separate ownership of each home. And then the lot to the north has two dwellings on it, each allowed a maximum of four unrelated adults. So the density being suggested is very similar to the density that's possible within this district.
as far as the other review criteria, we aren't expecting any reduction in property value. City services and utilities are available to serve the area. Um, this has been used as an office and it has previously been a residence. Um, assurances of continuing maintenance with a special use permit, the site plan itself is an enforcement tool. However, the special use permit ordinance um, has a provision that the use would comply with all city codes or the special use permit could be rescinded. So we have double assurance of continued maintenance. Um, no impact on the natural environment is expected. And so we are not, um, due to the fact that it would be compatible with the nearby area, we are not proposing a time limit. As far as the conditions, as noted in the staff report, um, the Oxford houses had, um, even these that were limited scale, had three conditions we were recommending we adopt. One is that the um, operator provide contact information to the city, so we have one person to contact if there's ever any issues. We would have an annual inspection by our development services to ensure that it's uh, complying with the provisions of the special use permit and also just a life safety thing and then they're also required to register as rental housing even though they are not operating as a rental units um, they're exempt from the fees and, and then the specific conditions that are being recommended for this use are the documentation of recovery so this is not a detox home these people that are here have all undergone some level of recovery the occupancy limit is 11 residents or two staff 18-year minimum age limit and that there would be an on-site resident manager and so staff is recommending approval of the special use permit and forwarding it to the city commission under the recommendation for approval uh, based on the findings of fact in the staff report and subject to those conditions. So I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any for me. And I believe the applicant is present um, either online or in person. Thank you, Mary. Um, the applicants um, are Hannah Bolton and Will Johnson. Hi. Hi, Commissioners. Thank you so much for hearing from us. This is Will Johnson. Yeah, good evening, Commissioners. My name is Will Johnson. I'm the project designer uh, and representative for Homely Architects as well. And apologies come from my lawyer, Ron Schneider, who actually owns two of the properties just behind uh, 1046 New Hampshire on 11th and Rhode Island. Um, he was not feeling well, so he will not be in attendance tonight. Um, not entirely certain this is my first uh, Planning Commission meeting, but I just wanted to give you guys some background on my motivation for moving forward with a sober living house for 11 women here in Lawrence. Um, I lost my brother two years ago to an alcohol addiction. Um, it was about a 10 year long struggle for him. Um, and one of the only things that worked for him after finishing some sort of detox or recovery process, whether that be um, medically through the ER or through a rehabilitation facility was the uh, opportunity to move into transitional living. Um, one of the biggest things that we have here in Lawrence is a lack of opportunities specifically for women um, in this arena. Um, we have eight Oxford houses, four of them are for women, two of those being assigned for women with children and four for men. There's also Hearthstone that serves about, I believe it's 11 men on seven in Ohio Street and there is a Freedom Ministries that is a religious based organization that only serves about four women um, and that's just located um, outside of the downtown district. Uh, there's roughly about 70 beds 
in Lawrence, um, given the population that um, suffer from addiction in this community, it's severely lower than um, need be. One of the things that I've done within the last couple of months is contact individuals within the community to make sure that this is actually a need. Um, and when I tell you it's a resounding yes, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, they are so excited about this opportunity to give women a chance to get back on their feet. Um, one of the biggest issues that a lot of folks have is they may have strained relationships with a partner, uh, family members, um, whatever it may be, and not have an opportunity to get back into a uh, cycle of living, whether that's getting their finances in order, getting a job, having a stable community is so important to getting all of those things in line to re-enter the community. Um, I truly believe that community is so important um, in addiction recovery. While I do not suffer myself from substance abuse, I will say that I feel very confident that um, this would be a wonderful addition to the Lawrence community. Um, one of the things I also really wanted to mention is that there is this will be peer resource in terms of the staff that will live in the house. They will also be in recovery. They'll be in more advanced recovery, and so. Um, um, it's by no means someone coming in and kind of laying rules. I mean, the rules are set and you sign an agreement. Um, and the goal is to just provide that safe community. It's accountable, um, uh, peer-led, and there are things that the, app, or the residents need to complete throughout the process um, to make sure that they're able to continue their stay. Stays vary. Um, Oftentimes you can't put a time limit on what people need, but there are folks in Kansas City that have been with Lorraine's house for five years. Um, that's the entire time they've been open. So it's obviously a positive thing for some people who just cannot um, move beyond that transitional living. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I feel like I've rambled a bit. I don't know if Will wants to contribute anything or if you have any questions for me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. Um, the, the only thing I'd like to add, um, as, as Mary mentioned uh, in the staff report, uh, we did host a uh, open house as well, where community and neighborhood members <clears throat> were able to voice any concerns. We did not receive any um, notion of dissent in that regard. Um, additionally, I'd like to also speak to to um, just kind of the general stigma that, that is often uh, surrounds uh, th this type of use. Um, and that's really kind of what this meeting in my mind is about, right? Um, residential obviously is prevalent in this area. Um, and, and specifically in regards to the fact that our office uh, at 1100 Rhode Island is, is one of the, the buildings that's within the environs. Um, of, of the proposed location, and so this this product directly um, impacts me and my and our business, um, and and with that, uh, Hannah and and Soldago have our full support in that regard. Not just as me as the product designer, but also as a community member and um, and, and a business within the direct impact of, of this of this operation. So. Without, we have to answer your questions. Thank you both. Um, we'll might come back to you. Um, we're going to take some public comment first. Okay. If there is public comment. So this is item number two on the agenda. Is there anybody in the room who wishes to add public comment? Yes, sir. If you state your name. Yeah, my name is Gene Dorsey. I live in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm here to speak in support of this project. Uh, affordable housing is uh, a real crisis in Lawrence, and this 
is just a small piece of the solution. And as Hannah Bolton said, uh, sober living houses are in high demand in Lawrence and this fits that need also. So I totally support it. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else in the room who would like to offer public comment? I'll look online. Um, raise your hand if you have any public comment on item number two. Okay, seeing no public comment online, um, I will bring it back to the commission for discussion. Commissioner DeVore. So um, we visited the location, and is it being used currently for anything? It's, it's not being used, and it's actually historically not been used. Um, so they converted the building into <coughs> law offices in the the early 1990s. Um, it kind of tapered off in the early 2000s um, on folks wanting to be in the space. The um, owner of this property also owns the Old English Lutheran Church next door, which is also a law office collective. That has historically been much more popular for lawyers to occupy that space. Um, and so um, within the last couple of years, it's been, um, within the last five years, there was only one occupant, um, one lawyer in the building. So um, it's very much tapered off and hasn't been used. Gotcha. We noticed that the parking spaces were used. I mean, yes, people are using Yes, all the law office. All, okay, yeah. okay, understood. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, you mentioned, um, Will mentioned the, uh, the public meeting. Um, and you said that you didn't get any you know, signs of dissent. Can you give some overview of the kinds of feedback that you got and how you responded to that? Yeah, um, so overall just um, general feedback. Um, was you know support? Uh, Gene was one of the one of one of the people who came as as well as um, Ron Schneider, who uh, again is as Hannah's attorney, um, as well as uh, a resident immediately next door. Um, but there weren't there were um, were there any other. Uh, other um, attendees? Uh, Ruth Stromberg from Freedom Ministries also stopped by and was very excited about the prospect of expanding um, sober living housing opportunities for women. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that uh, that w I was fielding questions for was just how it would run on a day-to-day -day basis. I think a lot of individuals think of Lawrence as a, a college town. You've got the lease starting in August. You've got college students, and you kind of have lots of turnover. Um, and so that was a lot of the questions that we received. Um, but. <laughs> Everybody that I talked to was very much supportive of the need and how it fit within the strategic plan, um, especially for the strategic plan for homelessness here in Lawrence. I, I think to more specifically answer your question, though, the, the general feedback was just the again, as Hannah said, the uh, the need for this this use and that that it's just lacking. And there's not much of it. So, thank you. Other comments from commissioners? I have a couple. Um, is it uh, is it possible that every resident would have a car? No, it's or? actually very uncommon. Um, a lot of folks don't. I mean, it's it's very dependent on house. Um, some Oxford houses may have three or four individuals with cars. Some may have one. It's very just dependent on the population that's in there. Um, but it is also very common that folks that get to this point in recovery have maybe lost everything that they have. Um, a lot of them don't have cars. Um, and that's why I think um, 
you know, we'll utilize some of the side street parking, but um, I don't believe that we'll need substantial parking um, for the operation. How long is the average stay? So the not the the required requested minimum um, that folks typically try to encourage, which again you can't encourage anybody to stay longer than they they'd like to, is 90 days. Um, that's kind of when your brain gets back on track. Um, it's very variant on how long people stay, but it's typically between three and six months. And another thing that's I think really interesting about this population, specifically with Lorraine's house, what they have found is that most of their residents are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. The average age of the residents currently in the um, 501c3 nonprofit is 44. So it's typically older individuals who've kind of lost some of that family support that you typically have early on, um, especially if you start, you know, if your addiction begins in your 20s, typically have more family support, um, and that kind of tapers off as you sure. progress through your addiction. I should thank you. <clears throat> um, I, I in support of what you're doing, I'm support of this application. I've just got one concern, and for Jeff, if I could, um, uh, uh, this SUP um, approval goes with the uh, the land, correct? Correct. Um, so, if for whatever reason this group decided that they were going to pull out, that unbound SUP right would exist for some other group home function. Yes, unless there was an active intent to disuse or excuse me to discontinue that use, then that SUP would continue to ride with the land. Understanding that not every group home situation might be a great fit for a residential environment like this, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there's a way to narrow the condition or provide a condition that makes it more specific to this particular use or something that would be a good fit in a fairly dense neighborhood. In, in, I would probably recommend something of a time bound in it, kind of similar to what you saw with the last special use permit, is to put some kind of a, an upper year limit on it. Um, maybe not an immediacy of a year, like a three years or a five year, you may want to consider a longer term for that instance of it. But that would have the assurance that the special use permit would kind of naturally sunset at some point in time. It would come off the book. or. In that instance, they could also come back and renew it. So if there is a changing condition or they're seeing a, a change that they would like to make in the special use permit, that gives them an opportunity to also come back and make that adjustment too. Yeah. I want to be clear, I'm super supportive uh, of this. Um, Thank you. That's just one concern that I've got. You're saying that really the, the best way to do that would be to put some time limit on that. That would be my recommendation. Okay. Are there comments with that? Oh, Commissioner Munch? question related to that discussion there so understanding that this uh, runs with the land is it appropriate to make specific reference to this particular operator in the conditions would it be and this is a question for staff would it be better to reference operator or property owner in, instead of soledago sober living home understanding that they might not always be there it could be somebody else and so they shouldn't be bound to provide that information about somebody else's operation. It's a great question, Commissioner Munch. Um, you know, there is, when you see certain uses transition over time or change ownerships, there are sometimes different characteristics or operations in there that you may want to take into account for that one. 
but my understanding of these uses is there's not a lot of not a lot of broad latitude in those changes. It's very kind of a very simply run thing. It is a it is a group home general. It has certain conditions. It has certain occupancy requirements that come down through state statute. So if, if there was a concern or a condition and tie on that one, that may be something to consider. But I think the time limit would still get us there. Yeah. To, sorry to to clarify the the conditions that I'm I'm looking at in the staff recommendation specifically reference Soledago sober living home shall do x y and z hmm. and my thought was it's, it's possible that this operation for whatever reason doesn't continue its use of this property somebody else steps into this property and, and is using the land appropriately in conformance with these conditions but these conditions understanding that should reference operator or landowner or the appropriate generic term rather than the specific applicant or the specific proposed use that we're considering right now. And Commissioner, uh, I see Randy's coming on there, so I will yield the floor there. <laughs> this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Uh, Commissioner, I think that's an excellent suggestion. I, I would recommend that we adopt. If, if I may, uh, commissioners, um, I, I would actually ag agree with Commissioner Munch. Um, it, it, by, by instituting a time limit, um, you force the operator to, um, to essentially reapply, right? So as I think what's the intent of, of this SUP is to allow them to operate Right, and, and, and as long as they are continue to be the operator, the um, effects on the community won't change. And really, um, any negative side effect would come from a change in operator, not from time. Um, so I think it actually, is, I agree, is much more fitting for it to be a operator stipulation as opposed to a time. Um, a time constraint. Additionally, um, just by the nature of, of this um, business, uh, operating costs, or sorry, revenue, excuse me, is, 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 is very low, and, and so budget is tight. So any type of, uh, you know, work to um, re-verify your credentials um, is, is a massive hit to the, to the business. So um, to, me, to us, I think it would be much more prefer preferable to, to have that operator condition as opposed to a time limit. So the, the discussion we've just had changes the, the Solidago Sober Living to operator, um, and Randy has suggested that is a good change. Does that get, though, to um, your concern, Commissioner Recrode, about another operator coming in? Because the time limit. gives us a way You're to address if the purpose changes, and if it's connected to the operator, then yes, mm -hmm. it does. Okay. I, I, I agree. I, I prefer that method as well. I have a question. Okay. Yes. I, I fail to see. Mm -hmm. I fail to see how that rectifies your your question. Your question. I think it's a good thing to do if this runs with the land, right? Then it should be the operator who has to comply with all the conditions. So I mm -hmm. see Randy's point. I fail to see how that satisfies your concern about it running with the land. So what I'm concerned about is if this particular operator stopped working and instead of it being a recovery center, it became, I'm trying to imagine something that I can say in a public meeting, something very bad that doesn't fit well into a residential area. Um, 
but they were allowed it by right because the SUP was in place. So by connecting it to the operator, if the operator changes, that reduces the risk. In my mind, that reduces that risk. Okay, but I don't, I, I still don't see how we're changing it, connecting it to the operator. My understanding is that we're actually taking out the language of the specific operator, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just saying any operator then will be held to these conditions and you're comfortable with any operator being held to these conditions, no matter what they're running, even if it's something that might be bad for the neighborhood? I am, I, I think it reduces the risk. I think that's a great clarification and I don't think I thought about it in quite that same way until you spelled that out. It does, I think, reduce the risk. Um, and I would be okay with doing that um, in this case rather than imposing a time limit. To, to be clear, uh, my understanding is that what y'all, uh, what the commission is proposing is to add a condition. Is that correct? Because like, under the Curtin Land Development Code, the SUP goes with the land. So it, any of this would require a an added condition, what is proposed in the staff report. We'll, we'll clarify that in a moment. We'll finish this discussion and then we'll, we'll clarify that in a moment, please. So maybe I didn't understand uh -huh. Mr. Much's comment. Yeah, because I think that basically that would mm -hmm. clarify what I, I'm not really mm -hmm. concerned about it and I'm not worried about a sure. time thing, but that would certainly clarify what I thought was happening. So um, are we just changing the language as is to take out the specific current applicant and replace it with operator throughout, or are we adding a condition that says, and I'm not sure we can do, we'd have to check with Jeff, I'm not sure we're yeah. allowed to do that, but adding a condition that says that the um, SUP is for this particular business or operator, which I would imagine we can't do that or it wouldn't technically run, these wouldn't all run with the land. I have another question on that, and maybe Randy can help me. Um, when you say operator, are we talking about a person or are we talking about an LLC? Like, because if Randy can jump in here, because if an LLC is, is the operator, anyone can own the LLC. That can be sold. So how is that going to fit in? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Uh, Commissioner Hayden hit it nail on the head. The, by changing it to owner-operator, I think it's probably how we would say it is the owner or the operator. It's going to run with the land, but it would apply to any future owner or operator of the land. We can't tie it to just this particular business because SUPs run with the land. Okay. So we can condition it based on the time period or some other factors. We can't, can't condition it based on who the owner or who the particular operator is. I did misunderstand. We can do set it up where it's, I think it should be more generic owner operator because three years down the road, somebody else might buy the business, run the same business, but it'd be a different owner operator. It'd be better to have owner operator as opposed to this particular business name. Yeah, Mary, Mary has something to yeah. add to that. I see. Mary, you got me. Mary. Mary. Sorry. Would it resolve the issue if we revised it to the owner operator of the sober living group home? Because that way it's going to be a sober living group home rather than one of these other group homes we're imagining. And so we're making it be a sober living group home regardless of who's operating it. Would that be possible? 
this ring is our deputy city attorney. Unless there's a distinction in the city code for that particular type of use, which there is not, where we just have group homes limited, group homes general, it, anything that would fit in as a group home limited would be would be allowed. Correct. Now, I suppose you could perhaps exclude some certain things, but you know, tying it to sober living, I don't know. So it sounds like both, um, in order to get at what all these concerns, it would change to owner-operator and possibly there would be a time limit for the other concern, that, um, of the other types of group homes, if that is what the commission wants. But let's discuss Maybe, both I mean, options. Yeah. Commissioner Carter. This is a question for staff. We've got seven subconditions under condition two. Um, maintaining documentation that's available to the city upon request, annual inspections. If any of these conditions is violated, does that put the SUP at risk of being forfeited? It does. Okay. I'm, I don't see a particular reason for a, for a time limit under this strenuous list of conditions because uh, already um, you know, the particular use is subject to, you know, mm -hmm. pretty strict oversight. There's so a lot I'm, of conditions. I'm okay with changing the language to, you know, owner-operator and then just leaving the rest as it is. I would have to agree with Commissioner Carter on that point. Anyone else have questions? <clears throat> this is an Oxford house, correct? It's not. That's what I thought. I've been confused by reading through the staff report. It's we a, keep getting references to Oxford houses, yes. but you're operating with a very similar model. Yes, so um, just to give a little distinction uh, between Oxford and kind of a, a more centralized organization like Lorraine's House or Artists Helping the Homeless. It's another wonderful organization um, that has primarily focused on men. Lorraine's House typically focuses on women. Um, Oxford House is individual, individualized by house. So um, I think one of the biggest issues that Oxford is a wonderful addition to our community. Don't get me wrong on that. Uh, one of the things that is noteworthy about that is that um, with each Oxford House, you have to interview separately. Um, Typically, those are Sunday evenings, um, and you can bounce around between the houses that have availability. You do an interview, and whether the house accepts you is based on the community member's vote. Um, one of the things that um, I have found just from personal experience is that oftentimes creates barriers to that need for immediate housing. Um, I really like the model of a centralized system so that applicants can apply, and then if accepted, based on all of the application materials in an interview, they can then be placed into a variety of different houses. Um, it's more based on, you know, supply demand. It's less on um, putting on the individual that's in recovery. A lot of times, um, getting rejected from multiple interviews throughout a Sunday may cause a relapse. I'm not saying that that's all the, the case all the time, but having some sort of centralized organization that has one contact person kind of decreases the barriers for admission into transitional living. Does that answer the question? Yes. Okay. Since I'm very familiar with yes. the Oxford House model yes. and AHH, um, <clears throat> where are you getting your applicants from? 
Um, so there's an online application. Um, Lorraine's House, again, serves uh, women in Kansas City, um, and they're willing to expand into Lawrence. Um, and so there's actually quite a few individuals. I've met quite a few of the women in Kansas City that are from Lawrence, didn't have an opportunity to live here within the Oxford system, and so have moved to Kansas City to access transitional living. Um, so I do believe that there is a huge need. I met with Carrie Nice earlier today, actually, and she was saying that she is kind of the primary point person for reentry programs um, for Lawrence. Mm -hmm. um, met with Jason Hess, with uh, RADAC, um, have a meeting coming up with Ed Lobdell, with DACA. So um, trying to hit all of the major uh, players in their addiction recovery committee to be a reference for this is an opportunity for more beds available within the community. Well, I can, in my other life, my day job, I'm the senior assistant district attorney that oversees behavioral health court and drug court. We need to meet. So, <laughs> I know we need, we need the bed space for women desperately, and we need more of these around town. So everything that the commission has come up with um, is suitable. I would be opposed to any time limit because uh, these houses are safe. And this house, literally, the sheriff's department is looking out the window <laughs> at the roof of this house um, with the court right across the street. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that you're taking this on and that you found a house that this would work with. And just for everybody else, these are all going to be double occupancy rooms, correct? All but the... Um, Except for the resident manager. Yes. Because it's found that that works best. Yes. Um, they need a little area to de decompress, I think. Right. Well, you're going to be meeting, hearing from other people from community corrections and criminal justice, adult services, and everyone else. Yeah, so this is a very different referral process. This is an application to the organization, correct? Mm. Okay. Thanks Other comments for comments from commissioners? Checking on Commissioner Munch. Um, I agree this is um, an opportunity absolutely needed. Using a, an existing space downtown, um, services are available um, through the locate just from being downtown. Um, so uh, this project certainly has my support. And just for everyone to think about in the future with the update in the land development code, kind of put a bee in your bonnet. Could we have a subgroup in our group homes or sober living residents so we don't run through this again? Because this is a very different model. Um, and we know who they are. We know DECA's going to be building um, a sober living residence out their river river view i guess it is um, for women but uh we have people sitting in jail waiting for spaces in sober living and we need to as we update all the codes have this as a matter of being able to put these in many different districts in their own category so we don't have run into this do we need a time limit do we need all these special rules we know what it is we know what the models are so let's accommodate that i would like to agree with that too because i think one of the problems with i was gonna 
be worried about the time limit. It's not so much, I think it's good to have time limits, but when you're talking about something like this with such a limited budget, um, that you just don't want to create some situation where you're really putting them in a hard spot by just having a ministerial, like, into the, into the process, right? So I think having a specific indication of this type of a group home or other types of group homes, distinguishing between them is a really good idea. The residents will be paying rent, correct? Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is essentially by forcing this is you're upping the rent for people that are in recovery, which is can become nearly impossible. If there are no further comments, if someone would like to make a motion, but remember that that motion, um, when it includes the conditions listed in the staff report, there will need to be that change in the name of the owner operator. If I may, just to clarify um, before it comes to a vote, uh, we did want to clarify uh, if now or later is the appropriate time to define what that owner operator, who that owner operator is and what that means. Um, so cause as noted in the staff report, um, for the first two years it will be run uh, by Lorraine's house with the uh, possibility that it, that it changes um, operation to strictly just Hannah. Um, so we want to make sure that that is not uh, of issue. Well, the language would be owner-operator and we can um, confirm with Randy um, if that's the only language we need to change to is instead of we would take out Solidago Sober Living Home and change it to owner-operator. I, I this is Ray Larkin, uh, Deputy City Attorney. I believe that owner-operator would, would cover it. I mean, you're going to have the owner of the property, so it applies to that entity. You're going to have somebody operating it if it's not the owner, and it would apply to that entity as well. So it, it would cover both both grounds. I don't know how you'd get around it because you wouldn't have somebody else that you would apply that's not the owner, who's not the operator. So I think owner-operator would cover cover the basis, and I think that's really all we would Okay. Commissioner Hayden. Is it an owner and, I guess, is it an owner, are we talking about owner right. and operator? Are we talking about owner operator? I just could see, like, like someone's going to own maybe the LLC and somebody else operates it, somebody else owns the house. I, I do just want to make sure that we're not creating more ambiguity on entities. Do we need an and or there, Randy? I, I think, yeah, and or. I, I prefer it or, owner or, or. operator. Okay. Uh, that, I mean, that that creates a disjunctive. So it's the owner, and if the owner is the operator, it's both of them. And if it's the owner or the operator, if they're separate entities, it's no cover. Okay. Good. Would somebody else, would somebody like to work that in then to the motion? I just have a question. It looks like yeah. our language might be causing a problem. And I yeah. Just to double check with the yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're uh, not creating uh, a situation that doesn't just, work for you. Um, just some background on the current owner. The uh, owner of Ashlar LC is John uh, Anderson. He lives over in Rome. Um, as sale is contingent, um, a sale from Ashlar LC to me um, would be contingent on it passing through all of these bodies, the Planning Commission and also the City Commission. So I don't know if that would pose any sort of um, issues on the current language. If it says Ashlar LC is the owner, it may not be the case in August because um, I may acquire the property. It's contingent on whether it passes through. So 
I just want to make sure that I'm not going to be locked out of this. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think, think so. Be, I think <laughs> really literally sad. would say the owner yeah. or operator, and in that would be whoever is the actual owner um, or the operator. There okay. wouldn't be a reference to any specific entity, I believe. But <laughs> I believe that's what Randy okay. has confirmed. Okay. Just yeah, yeah, sure this Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Hayden has that correct. The owner would apply to anybody who owns the property now or in the future going forward, it, it makes it run with the land. So if the property is sold or if the LLC changes its name or if there's a change in membership within the LLC, all that would be covered just under the umbrella. Thank you so much. And, and your legislative history will always be available on YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> Can't wait. Commissioner Carter. Um, I'd uh, like to move that we recommend approval of the special use permit SUP-23-00121 to permit the establishment of a group home general use at 1046 New Hampshire Street based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding the application to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval subject to the conditions um, laid out in the staff report with the single change that references to Soledago Sober Living Home be changed to owner or operator. Second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, could you call the vote, Jeff? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes 10 to 0. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. <clears throat> Thank you, Commissioner Hayden. Okay. We are on to item number three now. That is to consider approving a special use permit for a fast order food drive-in um, at 4431 Bauer Farm. Staff presenting is Mary Miller again. Hello again. I will pull up my screen. Sorry about that. Um, this is a special use permit for a fast order food drive-in. As you mentioned, it's at 4431 Bower Farm Drive. And the project itself will have a special use, kind of a coffee shop at the drive-in as well as a bank. But the only item before you tonight is the fast order food drive-in. The plans include both for context, uh, but the special use permit would be needed only for the coffee shop drive-in. The property is located in the northwest corner of the intersection of Folks Road and West 6th Street. It had been part of the Bauer Farm plan development and it um, had been it had been zoned POD, planned office development and the plans with the Bauer Farm were this to be developed with a bank. Uh, that was rezoned 
a few years ago or recently to the CN2 Neighborhood Commercial District, which is a base zoning district. It does not have a plan development overlay. So uses that are allowed in that district can be approved with a site plan administratively. And then some uses require the SUP, such as this drive-through fast order food. The block has been developed um, primarily. This is the east side of Bower Farm, which had originally been intended to be all residential. Uh, down in the southwest corner, there's some retail uses. Uh, Lawrence Community Theater is in the northwest. There are apartments to the west of the subject property and an assisted living facility to the north. The other undeveloped property, 4450, recently had an, a, a development plan for an assisted living facility approved, so that will be developed as well. The proposed site layout would have one access point on Bower Farm Drive to the north, and traffic could be divided with directional signage so that the coffee shop traffic would be directed to the west of the site and the bank would go to the center. The uh, drive-through coffee shop would consist of a 530-square-foot um, building and a 200-square, 250-square-foot cooler, and then the bank would be larger in the center, which would be 3,720 square feet. The coffee shop would have no indoor customer service area, and it would have two drive-through lanes. The bank would have three drive-through lanes, two with tellers, one with an ATM, and then there would be a bypass drive-through lane. And as before, with the special event permits, we have those special use permits, we have those review criteria. And one is whether or not it is compliant with all provisions of the development code. And as shown in the staff report, this does comply with the dimensional standards as well as the parking standards. There are a few conditions noted in the staff report and the applicant did provide a staff report recently that addressed those. One of those conditions was the addition of perimeter parking lot landscaping to the south of this parking south of the bank, that has been included. The other one was verification that the bike locker for the coffee shop would have room for two bicycles for employee parking, and they did confirm that. And the other was that um, given the closeness of these apartments, a buffer yard is required, and they do show the required landscaping, um, but they did not um, identify this as a buffer yard, so they did identify that as a buffer yard on the plan. Another provision of the uh, development code is requirement that it uh, complies with the uh, commercial design guidelines. And the uh, Sorry, the uh, building substantially complies. Uh, there are some areas of the sides of the building that don't have much variation, and that's one of the features of the commercial design standards. And uh, the applicant indicated that the building is quite small, and in their opinion, it doesn't require much variation. So we are still working with the applicant on those final changes, but substantially it does comply with the commercial design standards. And the, there is a condition that we will continue working that out, and um, one of the final steps will be to make sure that it does comply with those commercial design standards. Another provision is whether it is compatible with nearby uses in terms of scale, massing, traffic activity, et cetera. And um, as noted in the staff report, the buildings for the coffee shop would be smaller and lower than the nearby uses. Uh, the proposed use, fast order food with a drive-in, would generate more traffic than the apartment development to the west, and it would have longer operating hours than the bank. The applicant um, indicated it would be open from 6 to 10 during the week and about 6 to 11 p.m. on the weekends. And coffee shops typically have quick turnover traffic, 
And in this case, the traffic will come to the site from Bower Farm Drive. It could come from the east from Folks Road or from the west from Champion Drive. Uh, the area has good traffic circulation with various connections to nearby streets. And the proposed site layout provides ample stacking spaces. If you see here, these are the four stacking spaces that are required. And there's room in this drive-through lane for an additional four spaces for each drive-through lane. So this you should be able to accommodate the drive-through traffic without impacting traffic on Bower Farm Drive. A principal concern with drive-through uses is the noise from the speaker box. And uh, the development code requires a separation of 100 feet between a speaker box and a residence. In this case, the development or the um, operating plan for this coffee shop, they don't use speaker boxes. They have staff in the drive-through lanes that take orders. And so that eliminates that noise issue so that it could be compatible with nearby residential uses. A condition is being recommended to the special use permit though, that noting that a speaker box system would not be utilized and that it could not be added in the future unless a variance was granted from the Board of Zoning Appeals um, since it would not be compliant with the code. And so the project would be compatible with the apartments to the west and the assisted living to the north, given the size of the buildings, the ample stacking spaces provided for the drive-through lanes, and the use of the employees to take orders rather than speaker boxes. And lighting is often another factor with special use permits or with drive-through uses such as this. Um, all the lighting in the parking lot will be full cut off. There will be no light trespass off-site. And the applicant has agreed to use a lighting temperature of 3,000 Kelvin or 3,000 K uh, rather than the 4,000K they had originally suggested. And this will be the more mellow yellow lighting rather than that harsh white lighting. So it should be compatible with the uh, nearby properties. Um, the other features we look at, there should be no um, reduction in property values. Uh, the coffee shop could very well be amenity to uh, residential uses in the area. Um, it was part of Bower Farm development when originally that was originally designed. It was anticipated to have a bank, so the coffee shop would be a new use. They did provide traffic impact studies, downstream sanitary sewer analysis, and drainage studies. And our municipal services and operations engineers reviewed those and indicated that um, services are adequate for this new use to be added to the area. Um, again, just as last time, there are adequate assurances of maintenance. The site plan is an enforcement document, but as well, we have a special use permit ordinance, which requires full compliance with city code. There should be no adverse impacts on the natural environment from them adding a drive-through coffee shop, and staff is not recommending a time limit on the use. Um, staff does recommend approval of the special use permit and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval uh, based on the findings in the staff report and subject to those conditions. And as I mentioned, some of the conditions have been met. Um, so there's really two conditions remaining. And that concludes my presentation and the applicant is present today via Zoom. Thank you. Yes, David Hanby is on Zoom um, representing the applicant. Yes, thank you. I appreciate uh, the Mary's staff report, and we've worked closely with Mary to put that together and address her comments. Uh, I'd also like to point out that uh, the representatives from the coffee shop are, are present, as well as the bank, if you have any specific questions to the special use permit. So I'd be happy to take any questions you might have. Thank you. Um, we'll now take public comment on item number three. Is there anybody in the room that would wish to speak to item number three? Now, is there anybody online who would like to speak to item number three? Oh, I think she wants to. Uh, 
Uh -huh. Oh, item number three? Yes, please. <clears throat> Thank you. Natalia Lowther, um, I wasn't planning on speaking on this, but uh, I am often a pedestrian and a bicycle rider, and I see the potential for a lot of uh, non-vehicle business wanting to, your customers wanting to use a coffee shop in that location, so I'm wondering if that has been considered in the design of the coffee shop, whether it will accommodate safely pedestrians and uh, bicyclists as customers. So, Thank you. Is there anybody online who would like to speak to uh, item number three? If not, then I will bring it back to the commission for discussion. And I will just start with Miss um, uh, Lowther brought up that point, and that was my question for the applicant. Um, this is next to a res uh, assisted living facility and um, a residential apartment complex. Is there any consideration of pedestrian traffic to the coffee shop? I'm going to let John Platten answer that question. Is John available? Okay, I'm, I'm not, not seeing him, but <clears throat> um, so if you if you notice on the site plan, there's actually a sidewalk that comes in from Bower Farm Drive. It crosses uh, probably the best place we, we had it for pedestrian access, and there's a sidewalk that runs right along mm. the uh, drive-through access lanes, and that walks right up to the building. So there would be a, a place where uh, a pedestrian could access and, and talk to the order takers right there. Uh, you wouldn't want them in the drive-through lanes, as, as specifically mentioned, but that would be the, the appropriate way to handle that. So there's no pedestrian access from the 6th Street sidewalk? No, there's a stormwater detention pond that takes up pretty much that whole frontage there and some other utilities that were in the way. So uh, the, the best place we found for the, the access would be off of Bower Farm Drive. Okay. <laughs> A quick question for, I think it's for Mary. Mary, so that road can get pretty busy, like, you know, if there's a play or a show uh, in the theater. Um, I know that sometimes people park all the way down that road. Um, you said a traffic study was done, and, and I'm assuming they took that into account when they did the study, like, you know, on a busy theater night, uh, high school is around the corner, all that kind of stuff was taken into account, like special events, things like that. I'm assuming. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if they took uh, that kind of traffic into account. I know that they did the traffic study. They showed they'd be generating quite a bit of traffic. And um, they gave us the different directions they assumed it would be coming from, the time of day that it would be the busiest. And um, that was left, you know, provided to our engineers who indicated that it was acceptable. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking like special, you know, special, you know, graduation days and, you know, days like that. But I'm, I mean, but that's, I guess that's just a normal everywhere. That's a thing that, yeah, anyway. Well, every, every school day from 7.15 yeah, exactly. to 7.45 a.m., that's yeah, yeah. impossible on every folks. Afternoon. And from 2.30 to 3.30. <clears throat> 
Yeah. Um, uh, just a the additional stacking spaces, you know, the, the lane being so long, the drive-through lane, that we don't have just four stacking spaces. We have at least eight for each um, drive-through lane. I think that will help a lot by keeping the coffee shop traffic off that road, hopefully. Well, I, I, I'm just... We're not getting into the traffic other than I'll say one person trying to make a left turn into the coffee shop when school traffic is coming in in the morning is just going to yeah. bog up everything over there. So I don't know if any of that's been taken into account, but just trying to leave the pool when the kids are coming in in the morning is very difficult. Yeah, I think with respect to traffic, my concern is less about the impact of this development on the traffic rather than the impact of surrounding traffic on the on the business. Um, it's heavily bifurcated. I mean, you've got hours during the day when it's perfectly smooth, but as the other commissioners have mentioned, um, predictably every school day, twice a day, and then um, yeah, during you know Theater Lawrence and uh, and high school. Uh, activities it's a it's a bit of a circus so uh, I'm a little I'm a little dubious of the traffic study without being clearly qualified when it was conducted and under what circumstances but uh, overall I, I think the um, I do have to credit the um, the site plan is a pretty creative use of multiple uses on a single site um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, the, the other commissioners brought up traffic. That would be my major concern. Is Mary, is uh, this the last piece of Bauer Farm now? I believe it is. I normally just work on the residential side, and it is the last piece on the residential side. And uh, I believe it's the last. There may be one small parcel on the commercial side, but I'm not sure. But we've, we're done. Now, this has been going on since 2006. Trying to get this going. <laughs> uh, is there any, given the traffic concerns, is there anything, um, let's say this was approved, I mean, is there, there potential future mitigation should this end up being a huge bottleneck? I mean, is there to go back and reconfigure traffic? Is there, are, are there opportunities for that to, to mitigate certain? circumstances related to the site or just the intersections in general related to the entrance exit and entrance to the site and the traffic on Bauer farm you really have and David might be able to mm -hmm. provide what I don't have off the top of my head mm -hmm. here but what I do recall is there is a lot of access restrictions that are in place on the plat from both on on folks and also on 6th Street so there is a very limited scope of where the ingress and egress to the site can occur. I don't think they have an ability to do a direct onto folks because there's, you get into the influence of the intersection, you'd have some other issues that would kick in on that one. I will tell you as MSO, when they look at these, they're looking at it not just from the site itself and how it goes, but also that broader perspective of the area and kind of its, its operational characteristics. And there may be the, the one-offs or those instances, you know, there might be an an exceptionally large day or something that goes on they might not be able to contain or talk about but you know for the most part they're looking at the site as it's used frequently throughout the day and if there is some kind of a change that needs to happen or an intersection improvement they are always kind of attuned to that and keeping that in in forethought as they do the diff different CIP projects and those different road expansions and things 
Yes, Commissioner Carter. Since you asked the question, <laughs> Madam Chair, um, more than 10 years of daily visits to this site um, make me uh, lead me to believe that it's the intersection of Folks Road and Overland Drive that's the biggest culprit. Um, that uh, improving traffic flow there would prevent cars from trying to get around the congestion by taking um, uh, Bower Farm Drive. And uh, so I think that would probably be a, um, I don't know what the, that's out of land use, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what the city's plans are to improve traffic flow there, but it would you improve know, the quality of life of thousands of people. So. <laughs> it might end up being no left turns for certain hours of the day or something, but. It is a little outside of land use, but I'm happy yeah, to pass it out. Yeah. Just said, since, it, since yes, the chair asked. Yes. Um. <laughs> Uh, overall, I think it's a it's a good use of the final parcel. It gets two businesses into that last piece, and we'll see what comes with the traffic. That's <laughs> not to interject some humor, but when I first saw this as an item, I wanted to see how coffee was going to get delivered via the bank tubes. Well, maybe it'll be that most of the, the traffic is, is so bad at certain hours that people will actually walk to the coffee shop. I, I think, I mean, as uh, people that are in that area, you see it every day. I see it every day around the middle school and the high school in Eudora. It, it does, unfortunately, saying it's going to sort itself out, but it'll sort itself out. Yeah. Commissioner Munch had a comment. Yes, thank you. So, a question for Mary. Uh, so this SUP is, it, we're considering it with respect to this particular limited coffee shop, but it's to the whole lot there. Is that that correct? The SUP would allow the coffee shop use on that lot, but it only pertains to the coffee shop. Well, I, I guess my question is, um, it's we haven't segmented the lot in any way. We haven't referred to a particular portion of the lot such that if somebody wanted to come in and say, hey, instead of Capitol Federal and a coffee shop, we're gonna do one big chicken shack, we're able to do that because there's this fast food SUP. Is that um, accurate? If the fast order food changes significantly, then it um, you know, there's a, a time where you actually bump yourself up and you have to amend the SUP. The development code has certain criteria, and if it's minor enough, you can just do it with a site plan. I think this would fall if you decided to forget the bank and become a large drive-through. That might bump it because we'd be seeing a lot more traffic. But um, without the, you know, looking through the code, I can't be sure. But, but more significant changes would require the SUP to be revised. Got it. And so thinking about agenda item number one tonight, we physically limited the uh, extent of um, the operation that was subject to the SUP. I, I think we referred to it was just going to be in one particular suite at that location. I assume that's not possible here because there hasn't been anything built, correct? So we can't say this is only with respect to the the first floor to the eastern third of the building? Well, it'll be on the plan. So the plan shows where it's going to be to limit that. If they want to expand it or move it, then we would have to say, is this significant? Does it have to get a new SUP? Or is it something, if it's going to stay exactly the same size but move five feet to the east, that could just be a site plan. But if it's going to double in size, 
more than likely the SUP would have to be revised. And um, if not, a new traffic study would definitely be required. And I'm, I see Randy came on, so maybe he's. Hmm. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. That can be done. We've done that on other properties where they were only going to use a portion of a large tract or something like manufacturing and they put an SUP. It would require that particular area to be have its own legal description so we can then then file it with the register of deeds and stuff but you could you know single out a particular portion of a tract and put an SUP on that but we would have to we would need a, le a separate legal descriptions and things like that Got it. And, and that would then require a, like a division of, of this particular lot it wouldn't just be one unified lot you could probably do it within one, within a portion of it, but they would have a specific area that would be limited to within that one lot, but you could do it without without requiring them to replat and make two lots out of it. You could, you could do it. We've done that before. There's a property over by, uh, I think it's an old uh, railroad uh, uh, right of way that we got that was obtained. A portion of it's being used for manufacturing, but the rest of it's not, and we didn't want it there. So we, but we made them give us a legal description for the area where the SUP was going to be within that one larger tract, and that worked. Yeah. Got it. That's that's helpful. I I, I ask these questions. I, I don't think I have a particular concern with with this application before us tonight. It, it's more just thinking broadly about. SUPs and maybe making an effort up front to ensure that they're uh, more narrowly tailored such that we can have more confidence as to what's going to happen at that site, not just for this particular applicant, but forever, whoever steps into that that position down the road. Um, so I, I'm just thinking through that, and I, I appreciate the education on this. Um, I, I don't have a concern, but just always have to for me i have to remind myself again that these things run with the land and so it's not just about this seven three coffee shop it's who else could potentially come in and benefit from what we're and doing from that. What, what use would they put it to and how that would affect or impact them absolutely that's okay. that's all very good it's a good question thank you that's all i have thank you Thank you, Commissioner Munch. Is there are, are there any other further any further comments from the commission on this project? Would anybody care to make a motion? Okay. Consider approving a special use permit SUP-23-00111 for a fast order food drive-in on approximately 1.37 acres located at 4431 Bar Farm Drive, submitted by BG Consultants Incorporated on behalf of Capital Federal mm -hmm. Savings Bank property owner of record. Is that, uh, I, I, I guess yeah, a yeah, a little bit different from the, yes, thank you. Approve a special use permit SUP-23-00111 permitting the establishment of a fast order food drive-in use at 4431 Bar Farm Drive and forward to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to conditions listed in the report. Thank you. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you. Motion has been made and seconded. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, could you call the vote, Jeff, please? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. 
Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 10 to 0. Thank you. Um, and now I apologize, but before we get dive into item number four, I'm wondering if we can take just a couple minute break um, to, to uh, use the facilities. All right. Please. And then, and we'll be back in um, just about five minutes. Thank you all for waiting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all for waiting. Uh, we are on to item number four, to consider approving a text amendment revising the zoning and land use regulations uh, for Douglas County. Mary Miller is on again this evening for this project. Or actually, this is not related to a particular site, but it is a text amendment to the zoning and land use regulations. Thank you. Yes, and I don't have a uh, PowerPoint for this today, but um, in the staff report, I mentioned the reasoning behind this uh, text amendment. Uh, zoning and code staff were visiting with a property owner who was operating a non-compliant salvage yard and discussing the options. One of the options brought up was to rezone the property to the GI zoning district so that they could operate the salvage yard. But as we look at its location and the type of road it was on, um, the recommendation would have been to rezone to IG, which requires a conditional use permit, uh, but conditionally zoning it to not allow any other uses or none of the really intense industrial uses. So uh, we thought it may be more appropriate to do a text amendment to allow this use in certain other districts. That would be Ag 1, Ag 2, and light industrial, still requiring a conditional use permit. Uh, but not requiring the conditional zoning. So we're not trying to apply GI industrial zoning throughout the county just for the specific use. And with a conditional use permit, it goes through the exact same process as a rezoning. It goes to the Planning Commission and has a recommendation. It has a protest petition provision, and then it goes to the County Commission and has a resolution. So it's almost a rezoning for one specific use. Uh, the difference is if you rezone to GI and then you have a conditional use permit, um, you can still do the specific conditions and that would still apply even if we did this in other districts. You would first have to find that a property is suitable for the use and a salvage yard ha has many different types of uses. If you look at the definitions, it's not always an automobile wrecking yard. It, you can salvage many types of equipment. And so um, you're able to apply specific conditions if the site is found to be appropriate. You can apply specific conditions for that particular use. So one of the first things in the draft language is revising the definition of um, salvage yard. And in the 1966 regulations, it was very, very strict. If you had a non-operational car on your property for more than a week, then it was a junkyard and you required a CP. Uh, we did revise that in 2020. Uh, with those advisory rec uh, regulations, um, but we specifically referenced secondhand materials and then zoning and code had an issue where a property owner in the rural area um, operated apartments in the city and he was collecting washers and dryers and things from his apartments and storing them on his property. And so technically it was a junkyard. Um, with this definition, they weren't secondhand materials because they were his materials. And so we wanted to revise that. Also, the um, code enforcement officer was running into issues trying to apply the code because if you have inoperable vehicles, 
a common hobby in the rural area of the county is demolition derby cars. We have a lot of people that like to work on them. You never get just one car. You have to have a parts car. And so you usually have several cars and you keep them longer while you're fixing up your demo derby car. And he was having to tell these people they needed to get CUPs to comply with the code or not do this use on their land. And he also indicated it was a somewhat of an equity issue um, if we were limiting them and they couldn't have inoperable vehicles while they're just trying to work on them if they don't have the money to take them to a shop. So the intention was to allow more inoperable vehicles. And I know one of the uh, comments was perhaps not allowing um, up to five. One through four would be allowed with the proposed changes and they suggested maybe four inoperable, inoperable vehicles was too many and that might be something to look at. Um, prior to 2020, a junkyard was allowed in any district in the county with a CUP. So with 2020, we tightened it up, but we tightened it up very, very much. And we went to one zoning district. So we went from all of them to just one. And this revision would put it back in certain districts, Ag 1, Ag 2, and light industrial, but only when it's found to be appropriate with a conditional use permit. And as I mentioned, there's various different types of um, salvage yards. So uh, each one would have to be reviewed separately. And so those are the changes that are being proposed. Mm -hmm. uh, this would facilitate recycling. It would also facilitate people working on their inoperable vehicles, just to change to the definition. But um, it does not permit it in any district without a CUP. It just expands the districts that it would be possible and if the area was found to be appropriate. And with the CUP, as you know, we look at various things. Not only do we look at what the property next to it is, we look at whether or not it's suitable for agricultural production. Are we taking agricultural land out of production? And then we can apply specific conditions. If it is a vehicle salvage yard, we can go to KDHE and get their provisions. And so, um, we are recommending that uh, the text amendment be adopted rather than adding the GI district. Um, if the GI district was going to be used, we would have to use conditional zoning because so many parts of the county wouldn't be appropriate for heavy industry. It would include a lot of times semi-truck traffic, uh, could be employee heavy, and it could have offsite impacts such as noise, dust, or other emissions. And so putting this in the other districts with the CUP takes it out of that heavy industrial category. And so that concludes my presentation on this. And there is no applicant, but um, I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any. Thank you, Mary. Um, Drew, there is no applicant, so now we will accept public comment. Please uh, limit your comments to three minutes. Um, comment on item number four. I'm Natalia Lowther. Uh, before I moved to Lawrence in 1994 and started Pinwell Farm on 12 acres of class one soil, I was an economic policy analyst for a consulting firm that was a subcontractor to the EPA. I worked on litigation support for toxic Superfund cleanup sites and regulatory development support for state hazardous waste programs. 
Many of the sites we worked on started out like the two out of compliance salvage operations that surround my farm. A few vehicles here, a bit of waste there that no one wanted, else wanted, neighbors complaining for years and regulatory agencies turning a blind eye. Those sites ended up with contaminated soil and groundwater, millions of taxpayer dollars to clean up after the businesses went bankrupt, neighbors without safe drinking water. I have been watching the same thing happened right before my eyes right here in Douglas County starting with 15 years ago with two properties that were horse pastures. Existing salvage yards in rural Douglas County aren't a problem just because of improper zoning. Conditional use permits won't solve the environmental problems. Instead of new regulations, we need more county enforcement staff on the ground out there testing the soil and groundwater, mandating complete removal of junk vehicles and remediation of contamination. And we need to allow only property li properly licensed, state-of-the-art recycling facilities with good access to transportation, fire, medical, and other essential safety services. If there are subtypes of salvage yard, the current salvage yard definition that we want to allow, like demolition derby, we can set up a definition that has different categories of salvage yard that you can have. This is what you have to do if you're doing demo derby cars. But a demo derby car can pollute the groundwater just as easily as others. Um, zoning compliance alone doesn't keep a neighbor's groundwater from being contaminated. One of the salvage yards operating next to my farm is zoned an industrial and have a, has a site plan to operate a heavy equipment business. That hasn't stopped the illegal floodway fill, large piles of potentially flammable scrap metals, presence of large electrical transformers, multiple salvage vehicles and heavy equipment, stockpiled on permeable soil, and open burning of industrial waste. Another has a long history of burying unknown waste in eight foot deep pits in sandy soil where groundwater is less than 20 feet below the soil surface. Within half mile of these sites, there are about 27 residences that rely on private wells, mostly very shallow, for household and drinking water. We have no alternatives if those wells are contaminated. We need good enforcement, not more unenforced regulations. Thank you, Ms. Lather. Are there other comments from the public on item number four? Any comments online? Anybody online wish to comment on item number four? All right, I will bring it back to the commission for discussion then. So question Sergeant for staff. <laughs> so if um, Ms. Lowther, um, she, she has specific uh, concerns that, um, you know, about her neighbors and how they're operating their their yards. Where does she take something like that? Who who is the body that can help her with something like that? She can reach out to us, and we can figure out if it goes to the county code compliance team or the city code compliance team. We can figure that out on on which one needs to respond back to those. Okay. I have a question about enforcement as well. So, what does that process actually look like? You get a phone call that says somebody's out of compliance, and then what? I just have heard regularly that. Um, People are doing these things and they're out of compliance and nothing's being done about it. And I have a really hard time knowing where the breakdown in communication is and the breakdown in 
um, responsibility. And so I'm just kind of curious what that looks like. If somebody, citizen contacts <coughs> planning, then what? I'll give you the example mainly from the, the city standpoint because code compliance is a part of planning and development services that we go through and, and Carl's on the call too and so if I if this doesn't quite mesh with the way the county practices it I'm sure he'll he'll let me know but typically what will happen is we would take a complaint and then our code compliance team will reach out to the individual and find out what's going on is it just you know is it is it been there how long has it been there what are you doing to work on those kind of things and if they kind of get to the discussion what will typically happen is code compliance will allow someone 30 days to either you know go through the process to get something fixed or get it off if, if it's like a car get it off the lot mow your lawn do those kind of details to it and then there are very strict processes in both the property maintenance code and also in state statute for when a code compliance comes in what are those next steps look like and you have to go through the due diligence process at the courts before you go through it so it's it's a very set procedure that you go into um, and sometimes there are some mitigating circumstances that I can think of one that I can you know we reached out there was a there was a car that you kind of in a rough condition reached out and said you know we you know we need to get this off the lot the individual was hospitalized and clearly couldn't do it in the 30-day time and so our code compliance team worked with him to make sure that as you know as time was available to just you know you can make this fix this as you can we know we understand there's other circumstances in life that might prevent that from happening but that's generally the practice of how, how code compliance works and would that be all is that just code or would that be like anything that's approved with with conditions that would be all those conditions and all of that it, it's like if you do a special use permit or a conditional use permit and we find that those conditions are not met then we would go through take a look do that same thing say hey here you got 30 days to let us know either get in compliance with the permits that you have or you know you need to either seek a amended SUP or amended conditional use permit and that process would roll and unfold as that part of that sorry one more question does anyone get back to to the residents then in the neighborhood or some the person who complained so that the citizens know it's actually being looked at and that someone's in the hospital or something like that so that the frustration level or the feeling of not being heard is addressed yeah I and I'm sure the county does the same the city staff does we reach back out and say hey we've you know we're looking into this one here are some of the situations we expect it to hopefully resolve by this date but we'll keep looking into it and make sure everything goes according to plan I, I, I'll, I'm going to add a couple comments here um, that might turn into some questions. Uh, one of the concerns um, I have about the salvage yard text amendment is that when you look at the salvage yard in the zoning codes, um, the only so there is a requirement in the zoning codes that no burning be done um, and that the waste can't be buried, and then there are screening. Um, recommendations but that's the extent of it and I have to say I'm, I'm pretty concerned about leakage from just about anything that's going to be put in the salvage yard and there is there are no considerations of that kind of environmental factor it would be something that could be put in a conditional use permit but that's going to depend on future planning commissions and, and county commissions to recognize those environmental concerns on that property and it would have to, so I am very concerned about the leakage right now we um, through our, our solar regulations are asking for soil testing to be done on something that doesn't really leak has not been known to leak but yet a salvage yard there's no requirements for soil testing and there's all kinds of things and unknown chemicals leaking from salvage yard materials so that's my my big concern 
couple thoughts. Um, you know, the example of demolition derby cars was given as just what might be on a salvage yard of all the kinds of cars. I would think a demolition derby car would be leaking everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I find myself, I remember um, county administrator in one of our, um, our uh, orientation sessions had, had talked to us about, particularly city folks, about how things are different um, in, uh, in the unincorporated area and that it is not uncommon to have equipment out and that that is not bad, that is a, a function of operating on a farm. And I don't, I haven't been by very many farms where I haven't seen some number of, I don't know, decades old rusting implements that are out there. I, I, so I don't know where the line is. I don't know where the line is between what's normal in an operating farm and where it trips over to become what would fit into the definition of a salvage yard. Maybe it's, maybe it's the commercial aspect of it. I'm not sure what that is. Um, when I first started, and I'm still, I think, on the fence about this. When I first started thinking about this, I just the idea of, of allowing anything for any reason like this in Ag 1, to have it in the rules saying, yeah, you could, I just, I, I really shied away from. But as I listened to some of the stories about where this might be going on, and I listened to um, a neighbor who's struggling with, with those around them, not complying with what's allowed in Ag 1, I find myself wondering um, if, and I'm not sure if this is a question or just an, a comment, but I find myself wondering if we did allow this, does this provide a tool to compliance that they don't currently have for tighter enforcement of an instance where it's going on? And I, I really don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I in no way, shape, or form ever want to think about a salvage yard going on farmable ground. I think that's a one, my, my opinion, that's a one-way trip. So I wouldn't want to do that. And I wouldn't want to allow it for the purpose of allowing. I wouldn't want this to go through for the purpose of allowing it. I would only personally want to, this to go through if it gave more control over preventing it. Can I ask I Mary my, that might address that line that between typical farm implement usage and storage on a property and a salvage yard? No, yeah, we do not regulate agriculture, so we don't regulate farm implements. We don't regulate their leakage. Any if it's related to a farm, it we don't regulate it. Again, so state statute. Farming is yeah. incredibly protective, and we can't come in and regulate it very well. Um, but outside the farm, as is being suggested here on Ag 1 and Ag 2, that's under the purview of the county regulations. When you say outside the farm, what is Outside of a, of a farm. I mean, farms are registered as farms. I mean, you know, you're in an agriculture or if you're not in agriculture, if your primary use is agriculture, it's hands off pretty much in this state. So if you have your little junkyard that's been there for 150 years, that's, that's what's there. And everybody knows when you buy farmland somewhere out there is all this old stuff. 
because it's never been regulated and it can't be regulated very well. Yeah. But this we have control over and it also brings me just last Wednesday night when the county commission was considering the limited scale solar project. They had a conversation about the use of Ag 1 and Ag 2 land that and for the use of other businesses and if it's if and they were trying to distinguish there's nothing written but they were just kind of mulling the process of if you live on the land and you want some commercial business it's very different than just going out onto empty ag one or ag two land and putting in a business that you don't live there and this is this is actually putting in point source pollution sites all over wherever with a conditional use permit and as chair ashworth said we've got no teeth we got nothing in our definitions and as natalia was pointing out by her she's transformers heavy machinery Every one of those is, is leaking what's considered hazardous waste directly onto the soil if we don't have some strict guidelines in our code, and we don't have those. Now, you know, and I don't, we don't even have those in general industrial or light industrial, really, um, unless the use triggers some licensing requirement. And I'm not sure that salvage yards or scrap yards, I don't know what the level of KDHE involvement is with those. Does anybody know? <laughs> well, I think that would mean, I mean, would that mean that it might trigger KDHE? If there's regardless, if, if there's going to, and if it's a business as opposed to just an individual establishing. Right. I mean, we don't know here is this a, a salvage yard as a business or a. Um, well, Natalia, you were in that mm -hmm. work. When does KDHE get activated with um, that type of use? Part of the problem historically is that salvage yards in Kansas have been regulated by KDOT and not KDHE. Uh -huh. And so you have this kind of gray area where like the fact that the salvage yard is regulated by KDOT very, very loosely, and then if it gets identified as a hazardous waste site, then maybe KDHE steps in, but those agencies don't necessarily mesh together very well, and I've run into that trying to address some other sites in the area. I've talked with friends that work with KDHE, and some some of those KDHE people are really frustrated with that. And what she said was, KDHE and KDOT just kind of leave it up to the counties. And so that's you, that's us. And Douglas County could become a leader in some some really forward-thinking modern regulatory scenarios for different types of salvage operations and vehicle storage challenges. Thanks. I, I think what we have here is I, I commend that in, they initiated the text amendment process to deal with an issue um, and bring it up for discussion, but I don't think we have com a complete set of 
a text amendment here yet. I think we have the beginnings, but we have to add, I think before I would feel comfortable with any text amendment, and I don't think I'd ever be comfortable with a text amendment for salvage jars on Ag 1 and Ag 2 soils, <laughs> unless it was already general industrial or maybe light industrial with some more stringent regulations. But I think it's something to start with and look at how do we how could we allow salvage yards that also are in compliance with our goals and horizon in plan 2040 um, to protect the environment i mean we did not permit an unused quarry to become um, a dump because of the possible mm -hmm. contamination from that and and this is even worse because that wasn't going to take that. That was only supposed to be clean fill and what washed right. off of concrete and asphalt. Right. This is this is actual hazardous chemicals being put on the land. Well, and just the I, my interpretation of this were to if we were to say yes as it's written, I'm going to say 95, 99 percent of the farms that are out there, you just classified every one of them as this because. Like, I'll just take take me and I, I'm I, I have hay on my land if I had a tractor that was broken down a car that was broken down a four-wheeler that was broken down well there's three of my four right there if I had one more I'm technically now a salvage yard and if you've got a big family farm that has multiple buildings filled with equipment over the years guarantee every one of them's over four and we that has to be figured out that's at the state level I'm afraid yeah for the farms, but this is does somebody can somebody go out, buy a parcel of Ag One land, and start a salvage yard? I think that's what this is about. I think what I hear, Gary, is that this is not addressing what you were talking about, right? So this isn't actually going yeah. to um, some a problem that you see. This is not this isn't necessarily going to solve it because it's actually the implements on farmland and in agricultural uses yeah. is not what this is getting at so it's actually not solving that particular problem that you yeah yes i would agree with that and i and i find myself now as i listen to this realizing that my hope is that by doing that it might give more controls the problem is the controls that are in place don't work that's a completely separate problem but that, that actually cleared me. I, I'm, not, I'm no longer on the fence. Um, that, that did help me. And I would say, actually, if anything, this has made me want to see a text amendment or laws um, actually regulating salvage yards, um, no matter what land they are on, um, rather than opening up the door to more of them in other um, zoned areas. Yeah. I'd also like to add, I would, it was um, certainly, yes, this is about reusing, potentially recycling, but I have to say that most of the stuff that would go in a salvage yard, I mean, it's, it's a, you're avoiding putting it in a landfill, but landfills are specifically designed and regulated to handle those kinds of wastes. Those, so you're actually, by preventing it from going into a landfill, you're actually putting it on unregulated um, land. There's no safeguards. Or if it actually goes in the landfill, they're designed to handle hazardous waste. So you actually want some of this stuff in a proper landfill. No, no. Sorry, go ahead, Gary. Oh, please. Oh, I was, I was saying, but Chair, so if we mm -hmm. played devil's advocate on this and um, this doesn't go through, for example, then we have some land that 
what happens to that land that, you know, what happens to this salvage yard that's not in compliance? What, what would happen to it, Jeff? Like, what uh, is it? Not knowing where, where it lies with the, the county compliance process, I would assume it would still go through compliance at that point in time because you typically you only hold something in abeyance if you have pending regulations coming or you have an expectation of something coming. Uh, given the commission's discussion tonight, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a, a, a immediate decision on this, so that compliance process would probably continue. They did have an, would have an option to come back and uh, apply to rezone to GI, though. Yeah, they still have other avenues available that are open under the code. So if somebody had a what may be defined as a salvage yard on um, their neighboring property or something, and it's um, the proper avenues for compliance with that would be what? Well, Carl is online <laughs> and could, I assume, I could speak to the one that, that we are looking at right here. Yeah, well, my, and, and that's right, too. I just simply ask because I think that um, in this discussion, I have heard people saying that things like this are things that would be defined as this are currently happening. And so for those people who have those interests, I'm just curious what, what process they should follow, right, um, if that is, in fact, the case. I just want to add a point. So I, I live on some, some land that historically had uh, junk dumped on it, but we're, we farm it now. So it, it is possible for land that was once junked to be used for other purposes. And my land is a, an example of that. So I, if, you know, I'm just, I just want to put that on the table as well, you know? So. Under, under current code, you would have a salvage yard operation via conditional use permit in the GI zoning district. So the process would be potentially one option would be to rezone to the general industrial district and apply for a conditional use permit. Both of those would come before you for recommendations and the governing body would be able to approve both of those along the way. So there is those options and avenues there. The other option is compliance with the code as it is currently there. Um, so that's an, another possible option there. And there may also be some others that I'm just not uh, tuned into right now off the top of my head, but there are different avenues to meet those compliance standards. I just worry if it goes to general industrial, it's definitely not coming back. You know, if, I, I'm just. Well, can I, I just add that the request to rezone with a conditional use permit. Yeah. That's one operator. What we're being asked here is anybody that wants to do this can do this. But they would have to come to us for a permit, though. For a con yes. For a condition. But yes. Or some future. We want to do this. Right. Or some future. You want to allow this anywhere on Ag One. I mean, just right, right, right. You want it anywhere on Ag One or Ag Two, or only land that's suitable to be zoned general industrial. Those, uh, to me, that's. I only want it where we say general industrial could be personally, but that's that's where I think people should be thinking about this. Do you want it open to everywhere or limited to particular spots? Right. But yes, this is this would be brought forward with a conditional use permit, right. regardless. So, so Jim, in your, Commissioner Carpenter, so in your scenario, you would you would disallow the current use. You would say that. Or right, because it's uh, it's Ag One today. So you'd say if they couldn't rezone it, you would say that it could not be used for a salvage yard. That would be. I'm 
not saying that. I'm just asking. I'm just saying, like, what? I'm, I'm saying I'd, I'm not going to vote in favor of this text amendment. But if the applicant wanted to file to rezone where they currently have a salvage yard, nothing's going to stop them from doing that. Right. And by doing that, they'd also file for a conditional use permit at the same time. We've seen that quite often. And that would only apply to the one. Right. And then we'd have the obverse of this discussion. If it's good for them, shouldn't we look at extending it everywhere in the county? Right. But tonight it's, should right. we allow this possibility everywhere on Ag 1 and Ag 2 land in the entire county? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> true. Possibly. Yeah. Since it would have to be an individual conditional use right, permit. Right, right. And I think one of the, the letters was pretty good. It would depend on the composition of this commission at the time and the composition of the county commission at the time. So it would be applied possibly differently <laughs> every four years or every two and a half years or whatever. One, it sounds to me like the change was relatively recently made to actually protect ag um, land from this particular use, and it was done so because of the volume system set forth in whether it was Plan 2040 at the time or another plan, but a community um, value set that was set forward in one of the plans, and then there was the change from way back in the day where it was, there wasn't um, regulated on certain types of zoned land. Right? So we're basically just going backwards this text amendment. And how, I guess how specific would we be um, as far as saying here's what you need to do with the batteries, here's what you need to do with the battery posts, here's what you need to do with the transmission fluid, here's what you need to do with how specific are we going to be? I don't understand. I mean, how specific are we going to be in the sense of I mean, we're not get? I don't think we're getting into the business of regulating a salvage yard, right? Like this is just a set. If this were to go through, a salvage yard could be there, and there would be regulations that are, have nothing to do with us or this body or the. Are they there now? The regulations currently not. No, right. Currently so there's not. nothing governing. What a salvage. I mean, we went to a, it was something. Went to a place where the car is sitting upside down in a yard uh, in a an area that does is permitted, but obviously an upside down car is leaking all kinds of things into the soil right beside the place where the the water runs through, right where the wells are. And what? And again, I'd call on Carl. What is there that we are doing then? There are specific examples. What What are we doing? I think you have a built-in assumption there that that's allowed, right? So we saw a piece of property where there were some things happening. I don't think that we can assume that those things are supposed to be happening, right? That's out of our purview. Right. Um, so, and I don't believe it was zoned. I don't believe it was technically defined as a salvage yard. Right. Um, right. Not. And so, it doesn't fall under the compliance of the things that we're like that we're talking about. That's not to say that 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 shouldn't be a broader context that we all have. But I don't think we can solve that particular situation or situations that wouldn't be defined as salvage yards um, with this particular situation. Um, that's more kind of back to what I was saying. Right. I think that we should have much broader conversation about how are we regula regulating these things, but that's still outside of the tax amendment pending. 
It is, but I think we can, again, Carl is here. He is the county person. We can certainly ask him and say, what happens? Is Carl going to, there he is, okay. <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. I'm Carl Bauer, county planner with the Zoning and Codes Office. So right now, many of the salvage yards operating in the county are on an unpermitted basis. Um, and we have a variety of avenues to seek compliance for that. Um, one example that comes to mind is last year, there's a uh, salvage yard where several of the vehicles are in the floodplain. There are dozens of vehicles on the property. Um, so we went through the temporary business use process to temporarily permit the vehicles on that property, give the landowner some peace of mind that there wouldn't be any um, any action taken against him during that time but every year he has to show evidence that the vehicles are being removed from his property the reason for the temporary business use and going through that process was that we recognized that those vehicles were a major investment for uh, the individual running that salvage yard and they were a part of his retirement so we wanted to give him some additional time to remove those carl do you feel like you've got the latitude to to provide that to in each individual today without a text amendment change? It's an option that's currently available. And I think to Commissioner Thomas's question about the, the different fluids and different aspects of a vehicle there, that would probably take a lot more research to understand what is and is not allowable under under the state, what is governed by a state, KDHE, KDOT, whoever has that jurisdiction with authority versus what is at the county level that we'd be able to actually put into our code and carry forward. Because there may be other items in there. I know you talk about household hazardous waste. There's a lot of different specifications and regulations about that that we may not be able to kind of dive into with a code update that we may want to take a look at and see what the state is doing first. So. Carl, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but currently in the county zoning code, the only thing that's restricted in far it, it, in respect to a salvage yard is there's no burning and no burying, and then it must be screened. Um, so there's nothing about being in the floodplain. There's nothing about being um, what what can and cannot leak. Um, there's nothing about specific location over soil types or any soil testing or anything like that. It's just burning, burying, and screening. I don't have that information in front of me. Mary might have a better answer for that. That's something I'd have to do some more research on and uh, get back to you. I don't have that in front of me at this time. Um, yes, you're right. There are just a limited amount of standards and um, that's common with a lot of our uses rather than developing very specific standards in the regulations. A lot of times when a conditional use permit comes in, then we establish the standards. If you look at our quarries, there's only about four standards or maybe five, not many in the regulations, but when a quarry comes through, they end up with 30 conditions. And it's just, like you said, it's a matter of staff researching it, the commission approving it. So, you know, it's worked out in the past, but possibly maybe it wouldn't in the future if we didn't have the appropriate staff that perhaps we would let things go without the right standards. So that may be something that uh, you'd want to consider is having us look into standards, more specific standards, even if we don't expand the salvage yard use. 
I have a question. We've been talking here about things, at, my understanding is your conversation was about um, things that are actually defined as a salvage yard or have like approval to be a salvage yard and are in the proper zoning. Um, what about things that meet the definition of salvage yard but are not, have not gone through the proper channels um, and don't actually have the CUP and whatnot that aren't actually in the right zoning space, but they would meet the definition of a salvage yard. Like, what, because I'd never thought about salvage yards really a whole lot to be super honest, but now that I think about it, if you're looking at it, you know, I am out in the rural, it's like everybody has a salvage yard, if you, and I don't know whether or not they're designated a farm or not, but I'm just curious as to certain, certain things that are not technically what we're talking about here, right, that wouldn't have these salvage yard standards, but are basic, that are, but are a salvage yard. So is, is the, if I follow the question correctly, what would the process be for someone who is not eligible for a CUP under their zoning district but has a salvage yard? Or their neighbors is really who I'm thinking of. Like I'm thinking about people who are having a salvage yard or would meet the definition of salvage yard or something, but it's not in the general industrial. It hasn't got the CUP. It's something that would be a salvage yard outside of conditioned or approval or whatever. If, if there was that case and there was no avenue where you couldn't rezone and get to that special use permit or you did rezone or short of that, it would just be a compliance case. They'd have to come into compliance with the code as adopted at that point. The county code enforcement would have to go out and go through that process to go through those steps for the, the compliance portion. The current definition of storage yard is, is the 2020 zoning regulations, and it's pretty broad if you read this. It's just a parcel of land with or without buildings used for storage of discarded materials, mm. and then to be bought, sold, exchanged, and stored. Um, there's no numbers to it. And there's no number of vehicles. There's so part of this was a proposed definition, and part of it was what we're dealing with in terms of allowing it in other zoning, zoning other other uh, ag ag one and ag two zoned areas. Question for staff: Who has authority to regulate, um, or to impose, you know, to draft and impose regulations for salvage yards in rural areas? Is it uh, Board of County Commissioners? Who can who can change the conditions in the code? Yes, that'd be the Board of County Commissioners. You would also see it as a text amendment. Could make a recommendation to them, but ultimately they're the decision-making body for a text amendment. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think my concern in listening to all of this, I've been entirely silent just digesting everybody's comments, but it's like, what are the, what's the primary objective? Like, what are we trying to accomplish or what are we being asked to accomplish? And, you know, it seems initially it's to take someone who's currently out of compliance and create conditions that will bring them into compliance. But then meanwhile, for me, you know, like, Commissioner Hayden, it uncovers this whole issue of, you know, I didn't even think of this as a, as a problem before, but to broaden access to uh, point sources of pollution all over the county just seems like a really bad idea. And, but then of course it bumps us up against, you know, um, private land use rights or people's perceptions of their private land use rights. And, and just common practice, what are people already doing? 
And so to me, this is just, I'm, my, my, my mind is drowning in the consequences of action and inaction on this. It just, it seems to me, I mean, for one thing, I don't see how I can support this tonight because it's just too big an issue to just say, let's broaden access. But it, it raises for me the question of how we, or how the county might take responsibility for creating effective means for ensuring the, um, uh, the safety of aquifers and soil without, while also bringing people into compliance. Because you, know, we, you can impose whatever regulations you like, but if people aren't going to follow them because it's all reporting based, then it's just a gesture. So I, I, I think we could talk for another hour and a half about this, but all I can say at present is I don't see how I could support this right now. But I'm, but I'm grateful to, to staff for bringing it to our attention. Because wow, yeah, can I ask a question of staff, Mary and? So what, what is? So to follow up with what Commissioner Carter is saying, what is the pain point? So like, if we, we don't vote on this, or we did postpone it, or vote no, what is the what 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 are the negative? You know, what, what how does it hurt the city to to not approve this language? I don't think there there is a pain point. I think the issue would be that the Zoning and Codes Office would continue with their compliance. This was one avenue. You know, they suggested rezone, and then we looked at maybe do a text amendment. So I think they go back and suggest to the person you may want to rezone, but watch this video and see what the opinions are of salvage yards. And also, it'd be important to check the the land that he wants to put it on. Is it good agricultural land? or is it land that could be rezoned? So I don't know if we'd recommend that he submit a rezoning request right away rather than look into it to get an idea if it would be something that staff could support and the commission could you know, recommend approval of. If he decides not to do that, then it would be a zoning and codes um, process to get him to clean up his site. So, so Mary, why wasn't that uh, considered? Like, that for some reason, you guys decided that wasn't the best option, right? And you thought changing. What was the reason to go with the language route and not the zoning route? What was the... To to go through the text amendment rather yeah. than the rezoning. Yep. Um, well, with the rezoning to general industrial, you're opening. You know, if the, if the property gets approved, now you're opening a lot of uses, way more than just a salvage yard. So you would have to do a conditional use permit and condition the zoning very strictly to only allow one use, which is technically what a CUP is. So they're almost getting two CUPs, a zoning district with only one use permitted in it, and then a CUP to set the standards for that one use. So it was just seen as... Um, maybe a more straightforward way to do it. I understand the points about really probably wouldn't even want to do that on land that's on Ag1. And maybe it's better just LI or perhaps some transitional agriculture. You wouldn't be zoned Ag2 unless you weren't suitable for agriculture. But um, that's why the text amendment was looked at as an option rather than duplicating the conditional use permit with a rezoning condition to only one use and then a conditional use permit for that use. Yeah. But that, would, that is an avenue that can certainly be taken. 
Well, I'm not suggesting we do this um, tonight, but one um, avenue to um, sort of narrow down some of the concerns about, well, what is a salvage yard might be working on that definition. Um, and just that piece alone might help clarify what people are seeing out in the county, what people think should be allowed or not allowed, but working on that definition. I'm not suggesting we wordsmith that tonight. Mm -hmm. Maybe but just send that back with a request. I will say three, uh, three of my friends are out of compliance. And the, the difficulty is where, and I think Carl talked about one of them, uh, this person's whole life he has collected his IRA account out in his pasture for retirement. And now for the county to come in and say, those have got to be gone, you have 30 days, is a difficult thing to do. So trying to balance out property owners' rights, what has gone on in, in this case for years, 30, 40 years. Um, others are essentially the same way. It is a difficult issue. The, the one that was brought up here, I'm not sure is as difficult, but the, the uh, enforcement is very difficult. Um, probably all of us that live out in the country or in the city even know, here are places, they're out of compliance. You turn it in, either the city or the county, do they have the staff, do they have the resources to go take care of it, do they have the KDHE hazardous materials list that can go through and say, okay, this car that's upside down on your property is out of compliance. Now, here's what you have. <coughs> it is a difficult issue, and I don't know the solution to that. But I, I'm not sure I would like to see more Ag 1, Ag 2 land taken out of production to, to have a salvage yard that really is very undefined as we have it, just this amorphous five or more, bring, sell. I, it, it's a tough sub subject and I don't know a solution to it. And my friends who are in this difficult situation are good people. Most, I will say this, yes, uh, Jim, you're right. You do have a certificate that says you are a farm. You are classified right. as a farm, and if you are, you know you are. Most farmers that I know are great students <coughs> of the land. They have been forever and ever, and will continue to be. Um, it's it's tough, and I don't know a solution. I think Carl gave a great solution that they're using with one individual right now. Allowing it to be sold off over yeah. time to eliminate the use. Because these, like you said, these have happened over decades oh, that yes. they've come to this point. So saying you have to get rid of it right away doesn't make sense, but it sounds like the county's already found a way to do it slowly, but this is asking to open the door to permit more of them to, and that's what I don't it, want to see. It is, and yet at the same time, and he, 
it does pollute the groundwater. It does pollute those 27 wells, potentially. <coughs> it's not tested. Right. We don't know. Now, if an individual tests it, but it is a problem, and it is probably not a city problem at this point. People are just being pushed out into the country to, to do this. Well, we um, still have one. Um, one that moved from 12th and Haskell that I remember catching fire almost like clockwork. <laughs> yeah. And it's caught fire once or twice where it is now. And then the one that was by the fairgrounds, which is right. moving out now. Yep. So we have one in town left. And then everything else is in the county. So it's... So, <laughs> given that... Um, that I do not sense that we want to define salvage yard tonight. Um, and I do sense the direction of the committee. Rather than um, spend the next hour and a half discussing salvage yards, um, I think we are probably about ready uh, for a motion on this. Can I just ask one question? Mm -hmm. If we forward this with a recommendation of denial, the county commission will have the option to take it up to discuss or just leave it on their consent agenda. Correct. Correct? So it would be up to them whether they want to weigh in. Yes. Okay. Just another pass at it. Mm -hmm. I'll take a shot. Okay. Um, I'll probably get this wrong so you can help correct me. Um, I move that we do not approve or that we deny text amendment TA-23-00104 revising salvage yard and zoning and land use regulations at unincorporated territory of Douglas County as noted in the attached draft language and forward to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation to deny. It point of order on that one. The staff report is actually the other direction on that one. So if you reference the staff report, it would be contrary to what the commission was discussing. Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to mess it up. <laughs> right, I didn't catch that either. Just in case. Uh -huh. So I'm going to get this wrong. I move that we approve, that we disapprove or deny text amendment TA-23-00104 revising salvage yard and zoning and land use regulations to unincorporated territory of Douglas County as noted in the attached draft language and it's the attached draft language, but that's where it's defined. So I'm not saying that we approve it in the draft language, but that's the draft language that we're denying. Correct, but the, that would be if it was in the affirmative. I, I think what the commission is desiring, and I might be speaking out of turn here, is it, it's based on the discussion that you had and not necessarily based on the staff report. If, if you're recommending a denial, because the staff report was recommending an approval. Right. I think if you just stopped yeah. after Douglas County Kansas. Recommend denial of text amendment TA-23-00104 revising salvage yard and zoning and land use regulations of the unincorporated territory of Douglas County, Kansas. <laughs> I think that works. Based on the discussion <laughs> of the planning commission. Based on the discussion of the planning, planning commission. <laughs> Do I have a second? Commissioner Carter seconds. Second. Any further discussion? Notes to the county commission. Nope. Okay. Would you call the... Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? No. Nope. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? 
Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 9 to 1. Thank you all. I think that's a good discussion. The county commission will be very interested in hearing that, and um, we may see this again in a different form. So, also. Uh, so, item number five, we are on to consider approving a text amendment, uh, correcting minor errors and omissions made with the revised 2020 zoning regulations. Mary Miller, again. Sorry, it's me all night. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a screen to share. Um, but basically, it's not a PowerPoint or anything. Uh, basically, as you look through the, um, the regulation or the staff report, we made quite a few errors in 2020 when we revised the regulations. It was all done by staff. And if you look through the list of corrections, some of them were simple, such as numbering errors. There were some citations listed incorrectly. Some things were omitted. For instance, a SODAR, that's a data collection, collecting device for meteorological towers. They put that out to measure the wind in the area. There was a text amendment a few years before 2020 uh, that set that as a temporary business use, but it was never codified into the code. So when we revised the regulations, it was completely omitted. And so that's a section that's being recommended to put back in. Um, another thing like with agritourism, there were specific requirements about building codes and about how big tier two could be based on parking spaces. So all of this was just um, language that should have been in there, but was left out. So the major changes, actually things that are new with this amendment, um, we set up a few uses and we call them small and large. For instance, religious institution small and religious institution large, and we didn't differentiate. And so this amendment would differentiate and um, we're proposing to use the parking standards for tier one agritourism uses. Those are considered small scale, so the Zoning and Codes Office can process those administratively and they have a maximum cap of 40 parking spaces. And so we would see that as a good place to put when we look at the small churches that are allowed without CEPs and then the large churches would be anything with more than 40 parking spaces. And um, we also did this with commercial slaughtering and processing. This is a brand new use that was added in 2020. And we had two, we wanted to have the general, which is allowed in the industrial districts, but then we also wanted limited because with all the Food Policy Council and interest in doing more local foods, people were interested in doing small scale processing plants. We have some in Johnson County, like in DeSoto. We have some in Franklin County, but anyone raising animals in Douglas County has to travel. So uh, we did put these uses in, but we did not specify what they could be. So in this, uh, this is a language that was provided to you in the um, report uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, in the report, I looked at the size of facilities in Johnson County and Franklin County, trying to find some reason to set a limit. And their facilities were never more than 10,000 square feet. And in our regulations, we have a value added ad business use and the limit of 10,000 square feet for the building was set with that use. So um, that was proposed in the staff report as the draft language. However, I reached out to the Food Policy Council and then Marlon Bates from the Kansas uh, Extension Office contacted me and put me in touch with a gentleman from the Department of Agriculture who's in charge of marketing. And he gave me a brochure that the Department of Agriculture uses to distinguish between different levels of slaughtering and processing plants. They have five levels, but he said ours, the limited scale would fit their number one. 
And so if you're limited, he says you slaughter fewer than 100 head in a year of operation and or you process less than 10,000 pounds of product in one month. And then um, <clears throat> he also discussed that we only talk about livestock, but he said that poultry is not considered livestock. So that we should, to be specific, we should mention livestock and also change the language to be including poultry, rabbits, or other approved specialty livestock. So that it's clear that our intent is to include any animal in the county that people would take to this kind of a facility. And so the general, the standards they put on that is you slaughter between 1,000 and 10,000 head in a year or process between 10,000 to 10 million pounds of products in one month. And I guess you just never go above that amount. So that would be the size that would be part of the industrial zoning. And so that is a pretty specific change that we're proposing. Um, the others are all fairly minor, but this one is actually setting those standards. Um, so this language was distributed back to the Food Policy Council for their feedback and um, some of the other farmers that they had included in this uh, email thread, and they approved of it, they thought it was reasonable. So those are the changes that are being proposed. It's a minor cleanup, but this is a more substantial change I wanted to bring to your attention. Thank you, Mary. Um, we are taking public comment on this particular item. Um, if anybody would like to have public comment on item number five. I'm Natalia Lowther, and I raise poultry, and I'm not sure whether sheep would be included as specialty livestock or livestock, uh, so that is kind of unclear. Um, Kansas Department of Ag has a basically a whole page of different ca levels of poultry processing and exemption. And I think instead of Douglas County making the regulations with numbers that are just specified in the Douglas County regulations, I think that we should work with Department of Ag. Mike Fink is the inspector that I work with. Um, and write our regulations to reference the different levels that growers can be licensed for so that it's clear that if you're in you know exemption level a b c or d then that counts as limited if you're in one of the other exemptions levels, then that counts as general, instead of having to try to correlate state standards with county standards and numbers. Thank you. Sorry, we might we, might we might have more questions yeah. about that coming up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> other public comment on item number five? No, um, any online comment? For item number five. Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. Is there a reason Douglas County standards wouldn't be the same as what Kansas recommends? Mary? 
Uh, we are using the Department of Agriculture recommendations. They sent me the brochure. They have five categories of facilities, and that's how they list them, is by the number of head that's slaughtered and by the amount of product that's processed per month. So those are straight from the Department of Agriculture. Uh, Ms. Lotha, can you explain, what do you mean by ex uh, class of exemption that you spoke of? I think perhaps there's a confusion happening between livestock slaughter facilities and poultry exemptions and poultry slaughter facilities. And it's very confusing. I've actually fallen into out of compliance without even realizing it. Um, just because it's really, really confusing. Um, I think the five levels that Mary is referencing and the numbers that she's referencing are for the livestock slaughter facilities, like cows, pigs, things like that. I don't know if sheep or goats are in that. I'm guessing they probably are. Um, the poultry processing is there's many, many more different categories of exemption, and they're based not just on the number of animals. There's no mention of pounds when it comes to poultry. Um, you know, a bantam is the same as a turkey. It's all just number of ant birds. Uh, but a lot of the distinctions between the categories are very, very fine distinctions as far as how the animals are marketed or how they can be marketed. You know, can they be sold directly to the consumers only or can they be sold to restaurants or can they be, can they cross state lines, uh, things like that. Um, and then also issues about the ownership of the birds and where they were raised. There are different exemptions if you raise the birds on the premises where you're slaughtering them versus if you slaughter them on a different premise from where they're raised and whether you own them or someone else owns them and you're slaughtering for someone else, it's overwhelming. So, but the key difference that you're talking about is that it's not, when you're dealing with poultry, you're not dealing with these numbers. Right. Okay. Absolutely oh, not. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, 10,000 pounds yeah. of right. chickens is not <laughs> a thousand yeah. chickens. Thank you. Mary, when you look at that, um, back on that uh, screen you had with the uh, s slaughtering facilities. I is that something to include? Is some sort of different categories for poultry that you could just add to, th to that? Well, in the discussion with the Department of Agriculture, they brought up animal units. You know, for instance, X number of chicken equals a cow, something like that. We could probably work something like that in. I don't want to get so complicated that if we're reviewing a slaughterhouse, it, but I could see making provisions, and probably rabbits may fall under that provision too. Small livestock, maybe we look at the animal units, like how many animal units would make up a head, and we could include that language in. 
does that make sense to people who uh, deal with animals? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, somebody that has to process chickens and sheep, mm-hmm. um, I think I understand what Ms. Lowther is saying because um, under current rules, you can process as many chickens as you want on your property, but I have to take the sheep somewhere. Um, so there is a distinction there in terms of like inspections and things like that. So I think it's important to make that distinction. I think state law calls that out differently. So I think that's what you're asking for, right? Yeah, if that d- a distinction could be made in right. the regulations that Mary is right. reviewing and revising. Right. right. But I'm not yeah. sure that we can make, are you asking if we, I'm not sure that we can. No, I'm asking if staff can make that distinction. Often. Yeah, or <laughs> if we move forward with the other amendments, mm-hmm. other, if more needs to be looked at at this particular um, revision. Um, well, let me ask. I'm, Ru- I'm just wondering if maybe we're overthinking where we are right now. <laughs> Nobody's applied to do this because it's not even in the code yet to apply to try to do it. I mean, maybe, Mary, would it be, instead of us trying to figure out all the different categories of this tonight, because we have how many different modifications here, and we're voting as a whole, um, the first time somebody wants to do this, I, I suppose there could be the request at that time to modify the code to meet all these standards because it sounds like it's going to take a lot more research than we're going to ever be able to do tonight. This was just to get it into the code since it was approved three years ago and it's not there yet. Is that correct? That's right. We've had some inquiries. We have some people that are interested and they asked us what is a commercial slaughter limited and we couldn't tell them so we wanted to get something in the books so we could tell them and um, it's uh, like Natalia said, reading the literature from the Department of Agriculture about all the processes, it's very daunting. So it's not something I felt confident to do. So I have to have an expert help me, like the person from the Department of Agriculture. I'd be happy to talk with them again so, and see if it goes to the county commission, we could add some sort of provision about chickens or poultry, I'm sorry. But, um, so once somebody makes that inquiry, you'd be able to go through that process and come back with modifications to the code as well as everything else and get input from people that are actually involved in this and from all the regulatory agencies and everything else because they're going to have to be licensed by those agencies to even operate. So I imagine they're going to come up with a bunch of issues without you having to track them down without the expertise right now. So could we just clarify what the procedure would be with what we have in front of us if we're going to take in all of these? Is it, do we need to take that piece out or can we leave that in for modification later by staff? What would be the procedure if the commission is wanting to have further study on commercial slaughtering and processing general and limited then I would remove it from this amendment for further study but go ahead and you could take the rest up but pull this one back out for more more detailed study that'd be that would be acceptable 
Okay. Would, would it slow down? Because I know we have a shortage of uh, processing facilities, and you know, if we're, we are backed up by years, so mm -hmm. if, if it would slow that down, I would, I would mm -hmm. not want to do that. It would be my concern. I I don't know how long it would take us to get an amendment back to you on that one, given some of the other large and weighty amendments that are currently on the table with staff. So it could be quite a while before that would return to you that yeah. we have the time to process and and yeah. give you the thorough review for it's it. A critical need. Yes, I yes I understand that. Is so. But it what? But it would be faster if we had an applicant that was pushing. A modification correct and right now we can't even take an application because it's nothing right. is permitted in the right. code that would be knowing that it's kind of an open it, this, it was in this amendment for a reason because we knew it would have a, a bit of a an issue in the code we mm -hmm. expect it to still move but it still may not move as quickly as if it was a, a applicant initiated text amendment but you know happy to put efforts into that one mm -hmm. but just be aware is that there are some other larger text amendments that need to kind of go through their iterations too that this would be in, in behind of what would be the downside of going through with it tonight as written and then modifying it later i mean what would be the downside of doing that if it is part of the code someone can apply for it as it is currently written and they would have to go through the process for it so you couldn't initiate it necessarily initiate a text amendment because they would have submitted a permit with the language of the code of the day so it would be processed given the code language at the time of submission cannot hearing though that the way it's written or where the direction it's going would put people automatically out of compliance yeah could could i ask yeah. Ms. Lowther, how if it was as it stands now, would that provide would that be a difficulty in applying With under the current to poultry production? A thousand bird limit is like absolutely the lowest limit for sale to customers. A thousand uh, if I raise and process a chicken at my farm under the thousand bird limit, we're talking maybe $20 a bird, 20 times a thousand. That's with all the expenses that go into producing a chicken, that's, that's not really a viable model for a profitable farm in today's economy where the the feed costs are horrible um, and that also restricts operators from uh, pursuing the slightly higher levels of uh, I'm sorry, my brain's not working very well, of um, the exemption, which would allow them to sell to restaurants or at a farmer's market. The thousand bird limit mm -hmm. only lets me sell from the farm. Mm -hmm. um, so they're very restrictive. We pull, okay. we pull it off tonight, right. and it's in limbo for a year. Then Do we have, have a any problem. restrictions I, to operate? So, it, we're looking at the language here, and we yeah. don't see the reference to the thousand birds in the staff okay. report. Yeah, it's not. It's not in here. Okay. Yeah. I know, so I don't know where that's coming from. It's not in the. It's not in the stuff. I think right. our question that's, is: 
Are we looking at what actually we're voting on, or is the language that Mary yeah. presented on the screen oh, okay. what we're voting on? Right, exactly. And I just want to make sure I understand what we're looking mm -hmm. at, or what we're asked to vote on. Mary, Mary. can you clarify? Yes, um, we are voting on revised language, and that's what I showed on the screen. But I'm not sure I understand Natalia's issue exactly. However, in the definition, we're only looking at animals that are not grown on the property. You can slaughter as many animals. We're not looking at things you grow as a farmer. If you're a commercial slaughtering, you're taking in animals from another person's property. So that 1,000 limit is not if you're growing them or raising okay. them. Okay, I think with that understanding, if you're setting up facilities to process chickens that are being brought in from another location, I don't think you can afford to set up those facilities and go through the licensing um, for just a thousand birds a year for somebody else the way the state categories are set up. It's just, I would like to see, since the, the amendment is adding the text about poultry and specialty animals as distinct from livestock, <clears throat> I think it would be appropriate you know, to keep the thousand head or 10,000 pound cutoff point between the two scales, but then to also add something that addresses poultry regulations specifically, you know, or poultry, <clears throat> um, poultry, exemptions it, but it's it's hard to yeah, yeah. and it's really fine print yeah. on the <laughs> thank you <laughs> yes thank you could we, we see the actual, actual language i'm really sorry if it, i'm looking at what was online i think we both I, are so mm -hmm. if we could at least see the yeah, actual I, proposed I language it would be very helpful yeah. because we're i don't process animals and so i'm having a hard time figuring out exactly the, the only no, the only number i'm seeing in there is talks about the 10,000 square feet right right here we go so this is different language. okay This is a proposed definition, am I? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no. And so this language was added by the Department of Agriculture. Before, we only referenced livestock, and perhaps we should go back to that. If that's creating a lot of confusion, we could just refer, reference livestock not raised on the premises, and it would be fewer than 1,000 head in a year or processes less than 10,000 pounds of product in one month, and that would be limited. And so that would allow it to go forward because there is this need, as Commissioner DeVer yeah. recommended, but and then come back to the poultry later. Right, that'd be an option. Take out this new language about poultry, rabbits, yeah. or especially livestock, and just leave it at livestock. I'm just not seeing that listed in what we're showing as the actual amendment wordings. It's not. Oh. When I wrote the staff report, I wrote it based on what I saw in other counties okay. as far as the size of their buildings and what we have for value-added agriculture. I had reached out to the Food Policy Council, but by the time they contacted everyone and got back to me, 
and then put me in touch with the Department of Agriculture. The staff report was already due, so I didn't have this information. So I got this a little later. So this is a change to what you're seeing in the draft language. Okay. This is what's being proposed instead. You could go to 10,000 square feet, uh, but the Department of Agriculture did not feel like that was an appropriate limit. You know, that wasn't um, addressing it. We could go with that if you'd like. <laughs> or we could remove the poultry rabbits or other approved specialty livestock and just reference livestock with this amendment and maybe do a later one when someone comes in and wants to do poultry. I mean, I think you, I don't know the definition, I don't know if there, is there a definition of livestock in the referenced code? I mean, I think, I don't know that taking out poultry, rabbits, or other approved specialty livestock helps if they are definitionally livestock, if they're being raised for the processing purpose. purpose. So that language isn't necessarily what, what bothers me. I think poultry is probably included anyway. The question that's been raised is, are the limitations too limiting for poultry producers? And I don't personally so, know the so answer. Did, Am I reading that Go right? ahead, Gary, yeah. That, that gives you up to 10,000 pounds per month? Yeah. That's a lot that's of chickens. A lot. Isn't that's it? that's about, probably about 1,500 chickens to 2,000 chickens. I mean, six pound bird, whatever, you know. Every month. Every month. So, yeah. so, so. I, I don't know. I, to, to me, the, the, the difference is when you, when you move from a model where you're able to slaughter anything that you raise to taking in work from others, you move from being a farm to being a processing plant. And if you're a processor, I think there ought to be some conscious decisions made case by case. My only concern is um, I, I'm a little, is it and or is it or? Like which and, and or like, is, shouldn't it just be or? They're if very we, different words. If, I mean, they're very different, sorry. Yeah, yeah. This, this is my day job. <laughs> I just, picking one I think is really important. I don't have a preference. Well, and, and if, and I'm just thinking about this as somebody that does occasionally sell cattle when we have enough, if, so the, what Gary's saying is right, it's probably 10,000 pounds, let's say that's 2,000 chickens, which, so that covers the ore of the 10,000, but 10,000 pounds of beef, that's not too many. So do they, do they both qualify the same way, if, if I'm making sense there? So if I can do, 900 head of cattle, and that covers under the 1,000 a year. But then I also want to say or, and I want to do 10,000 pounds of chicken, which would be well over the 1,000 head there a month. So can, can a business do both of those? It, even when it's saying and or, it's just I want to make sure that that's covered well, I think for each I think, species. I think if you just select or, that right. covers that, right? right. Like, and then and it gets rid of any of the confusion. Well, is it and or is it or, right? Just, right. So I think the or would do that. The and would limit that. Yeah. So just, I think I'm fine with the or, but that would be my only thought about it. So you mean that. as it's written with the or? Yeah. But taking out the and then, like so yeah, yeah, but, selecting but, one of them. But, but not, not messing with the poultry, especially livestock. So just simply changing that to or. Yeah, I mean okay. that would be just the thought. I mean, I, I'm kind of with Gary on the okay. on the what are we trying mm -hmm. to get at here, and mm -hmm. does this do it? So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's fine. I just with the language-wise picking one. 
if, if I may, for the commission's sake, I think this one may warrant further discussion and warrant going to an agenda at a later date because there seems to be a lot of discussion and a lot of open-ended questions that we may need to answer on that one. So I would actually probably recommend pulling this section back out and bring it back to you as a separate text amendment and go ahead and advance the other ones only because this has not been seen by the public and we've not had time to have it go on an agenda and have it gather for that public comment portion. So I would actually be more comfortable pulling this out away from the amendment this evening and having you initiate a separate text amendment for this part of the code to have the discussion that you're having tonight. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I am wondering what, do we have any idea how much of a delay that will put this in? I, I don't, but I, we could promise to get it back to you as fast as we can, knowing that we've got some other ones there. But I mean, it sounds like you all need a little bit more information and we probably don't have enough of that, that conversation with the public to really have that fully vetted out this evening. So I have some hesitations with that. I agree. I think just the public comment in general, like that, I kind of, we did have public comment on it by one person who happened to be here, and I, that seems unfair. It just seems like the public should have an opportunity to weigh in on what, yeah. on this. I find myself yeah. wondering, I hate to say this out loud, but I find mm -hmm. myself wondering about the other mm -hmm. 17 items. <laughs> we just. I guess, I, I guess I was assuming so what, that they what, were. I mean, we've, we've yeah. modified this here tonight in a way that the public, that is actually substantive change and the public hasn't weighed in on it. Yeah. Correct. My understanding is that the public has had an opportunity to weigh in on all the all other others. Changes. Correct. Yes. And that, that's my concern too. Is this one starting to kind of deviate from what was published with your agenda and the conversation point? So there may be people that want to comment on this or have ideas, but they have not, they're not knowing that that's coming tonight. Yeah. So I would say is, allow the rest of the amendment to go forward and then initiate a separate amendment for that provision of it so that we can bring that back to you as fast as we can. Okay. Question for like Jeff. That. Can you remind, mm -hmm. remind us what notification is going to look like for that kind of text amendment? Because we've had issues in the past about people not being aware of proposed changes. When it comes to a text amendment, how is the public notified? It's through your agenda. There is not a mailed notice or a sign that is posted. So your agenda and your discussion is really that point, which is why I'm having hesitation with where the discussion has gone this evening on this portion. Got it. Okay, thank you. And Jeff, if somebody wants to open one of these facilities before we approve the amendment, can they? Can they apply to, do they have to wait for this language or can they go ahead and ask permission to open a, a slaughterhouse? You, the code already has some of that in there, so you can go through with what the code has written today. But it sounds like it may be more advantageous for someone to wait for that amendment to come back because there might be some different caveats in there that make it a little bit more amenable. But if the code does have it in there as a use and it does have some of that definitional construct that we have in there, it could go through today for a processing, or excuse me, for, for processing to you. Yeah. The other option mm -hmm. is so you don't know how Mary, I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, the other option would be to have a discussion about whether or not to approve what actually is in the packet and was given public notice and that which people could knew that they could come and talk to, right? So that is an option. I mean, an option is to stick with the original language. Mary, I don't know how you feel about that, um, but that would help with the public process, the public comment process or concern, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that is possible. You do have that amendment before you with the square footage. If you wanted to approve it with the way it is written in your packet, I think that's that's a fair way forward and then still could initiate an amendment to adjust it on top of that if you wanted to do that. 
So I think there's at least a couple different avenues to proceed forward on that if you'd like. Where is the language in the chicken? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's it is sheep. Chickens I can do. Where, can you point out that number, number eight? Number eight. Oh, yes. Lou's on okay. page eight of 11 in your packets. Eight of 11. Make sure everybody looks at the, so that is, there it is, uh, number eight, section 12.315, a facility used for the killing and butchering of livestock that were not raised on the premises and the refining of their byproducts. Products are typically sold to butcher shops or grocery stores. There's no maximum limit on the total building area. Um, and then there, uh, and there we have a building area. So we can at least continue with this as written and then amend it later. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I like that. Okay. And as I mentioned, you can make a recommendation on the amendment uh, 105 that's before you this evening and also initiate an amendment to that specific section if you would like to. So two separate motions, one to accept the text amendment as presented and then a second motion to initiate a text amendment. If the board would like. If the board, okay. Yep. I just would want to check with Mary mm -hmm. if that is consistent with what would, would work for staff. Mary? Yeah, that would work. That would work for us, you know, the 10,000 square foot. I haven't heard from anyone that that would not be a suitable size. And so we could, that would get us started. At least we'd have something we could tell people if they ask us, you know, do we fit into limited or general? We could tell them and then we could work to make the changes better so we have a better definition and bring that back to you. Okay, so would anybody like to try with a first motion? And that's just a motion. motion to approve what's here. Yes, does anybody have, I should ask, does anybody have any discussion on any other portion of the suggested text amendment I was curious just mm -hmm. as to the the um, item was number nine the temporary business use plan um, adding G in there and maybe this was in the report and I just haven't remembered it was are those things not currently I feel like those things are included in discussion on temporary business use plans and so I was just curious like um, how this text amendment came about. I don't know if tech may. They're not specifically listed in the regulations, but a few years before, I think it was 2018 perhaps, a SODAR unit was gonna be put in Douglas County. We didn't have any standards for it and uh, we didn't know whether to do a CUP or make it a temporary business use. So a text amendment was done and it was decided it would be a temporary business use because it doesn't stay there that long. So that got adopted. We had language, but it was never codified into the code. Somehow that just was an oversight when they codified the zoning regulations. So when we pulled up the copy and made changes, that wasn't in it. So we completely omitted anything about the SODAR. So the, the definition of the SODAR, that it is a use that can be approved by temporary business. And then that extra section they had about what things you can look at, it just gives them, well, anyone who's looking at a temporary business use permit, and that's zoning and code staff, it gives them extra credibility or extra, oh, I don't know what the word is, but it makes it more palatable to people that they're gonna look at all these things when they review their temporary business use permits. Okay, I just, it's my understanding that they kind of do anyway, so I just was wondering, um, thank you. Any other items in this list? 
clean up. Would somebody care? Um, let's see, I'm looking for Commissioner Munch if he has any questions about any others. No? Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. Um, why, why are they saying number 12, except the date of the meeting is not required on the site plan notice signs? Why take the date of the meeting off? I, I just feel like we have hear people time after time after time coming and saying that they didn't get notice or they hadn't heard about it or they just found out. And so that just stands out to me as why would we take move the opposite direction of what, what, what we were trying to do? Right, site plans, we require posted notice for a lot of items. Most of them come to the planning commission. And when an application is submitted, we know what planning commission it's on track for. So 20 days before the planning commission meeting, we give the applicant a sign to post. Hmm. But with a site plan, they submit it, and it's gonna to go to the county commission whenever it's ready. So whenever they've addressed the comments and our concerns, it could be a month, it could be six months after it's submitted. So it's hard for them to put the date on the sign. We actually have to do two signs right now. They put up a sign to let everyone know it's submitted. And then we try to remember when we schedule it for the county commission to give them another sign 20 days before with this date. And um, actually when they see the sign, most people are concerned call us and we tell them that we're working on it because the point of the sign is for them to be involved in the review process. If they're concerned, if they are worried about the use, you know, they can make changes if they let us know ahead of time. We used to not notify site plans at all, but now we mail notice. The applicant mails notice to everyone within a half a mile and tells them he's going to submit an application. Then the signs are put up. And so people can contact us and we have a lot of input in our site plan process now, thanks to these notifications. But it's just that it's it's difficult to know when they're going to go to the county commission. And if you don't know 20 days ahead of time, they have to wait. And if you want to go ahead and have us do the two sign process where we set one sign for the application and then we set out another one for the meeting, we can do that. But it's um, just seems redundant. And um, but the point is to let people know something is happening here. If you're interested, call the planning office because otherwise they won't know where the meeting is. You know, we're not going to put all that information on the sign, but it would be up to you if you'd like us to keep it. Oh, thank you. That helps. I was just trying to figure it out, and that makes perfect sense. The idea is for them to get involved earlier in the process than in the final meeting. So thank you. Yep. Good questions. Yes, thank you. Any others on the... Is anybody ready to make a, a first motion on adopting the text amendment as written? I'll make the first one if someone okay. else does the second one. Okay. <laughs> Move we approve a text amendment TA-23-00105, correcting minor errors or omissions made in the 2020 revisions to the zoning and land use regulations for the unincorporated territory of Douglas County, Kansas, as noted in the attached draft language and for the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation of approval. Do I have a second? Yep, second, Commissioner DeVore. Um, any further discussion? No, could you call the vote, Jeff? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 10 to 0. All right, and there is a possibility of a second motion on the table referring to the processing facilities. 
thinking about how to word this. <laughs> so is the idea that we, we've thought it through and we just want to remove and dash, or are we asking to go back and go through a public Revisit. process? You think yes. go back and go through the whole public mm. process. My and or was super nitpicky if that was the language that was going through, mm -hmm. but I think it here that we want to go through a process of figuring out what would be best and allowing the public mm -hmm. to comment mm -hmm. on it. So we needed a motion to initiate a text amendment yep. and the subject matter of that text amendment. Governite, governing um, processing facilities? Definition of commercial slaughtering and processing. Yep. And the limited one, too. Oh. So it would go something like, I, I, I move to initiate a text amendment that initiates <laughs> a public process. Uh, is that right? Can you help us out with the language here? If, if the commission is looking for language to initiate yeah. the amendment, I would recommend something along the lines that you would initiate a text amendment to um, section 12315 uh, to revise and study the commercial slaughtering and processing general and commercial slaughtering and processing limited definitions and bring that back for consideration. Oh, wow, you said that way too Yeah, go ahead and give it a try. Okay. Um, I move that we initiate a text amendment to uh, revisit section 12-315 definitions including commercial slaughtering and processing general and commercial slaughtering and processing limited. And return recommendations. That sounds good. And return with recommendations to the planning commission. All right, yes. <laughs> okay, any further discussion? Okay, can we call the call the vote, Jeff, please? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 10 to zero. Thank you. And um, excellent, uh, Commissioner Carter, for picking that excellent recall. <laughs> Um, so well, that concludes our regular agenda for the evening, but we do have an item under miscellaneous new or old business, cons uh, which is uh, receiving the status update of the land evaluation site assessment. And Mary, um, <laughs> you're going, yes, going, conti continue on with Mary Miller planning for the Lisa text amendment. Uh, yeah, Mary Miller, uh, basically this uh, memo that's in your packet is just kind of a summary of where we started with, with the amendment. Um, it was important for us with the zoning regulations to find a way to differentiate the productivity or potential productivity of agricultural land when we make rezoning recommendations. So the LISA is intended to help us with that. And staff visited with other communities that have established leases. And we looked at their parameters. We worked with the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Um, and they recommended the parameters that we should use in ours. So we have a system. And um, we've used that many times in our rezonings. We've talked about, here are the, the items we've looked at. But we haven't developed where we're at right now. We haven't final, finally tuned the chart. You know, we can say this is the amount of range production per year, 
but we haven't said how much is really good, how much is fair, and how much range production is poor. And that's kind of where we are at this point. It came to the Planning Commission and an ad hoc committee was formed to do some ground truthing. So we could look at the chart, compare it to agricultural land and say, well, it was too high or it was too low. And I think there are a couple of issues. I don't think that staff actually explained how to work the lease adequately. And the other thing is, I don't think the ad hoc committee was probably suited to go out and say, well, this is 70, this is great farmland or this is medium farmland. I think we needed more expertise, more agricultural expertise so we could pick land. And even if we had um, someone from K-State perhaps, that they know land and they could give us examples and we could fine tune our chart so that when we're looking at good farmland, the result we would get would be high level of protection. And if we're looking at poor farmland, it would have a low value of protection and we would have everything in between. And so I had a presentation prepared where I went through and showed how we did each um, each one of those uh, parameters. And we have other parameters we put in because if you have farmland and 80% of your property is a lake, then 80% of your property is not good farmland. It doesn't have a farmland productivity potential. And so we wanted to remove that from it. And we use other things. For instance, if you have houses and buildings on your property, we would remove that from it. And that's removing the houses and the buildings. That's kind of a fine tuning thing. And that, um, in my mind, is if we were looking at two properties, perhaps the township wanted to put a facility someplace, we were comparing two properties, the scores might be pretty similar, but that might be what makes the difference. We also look at, do you have environmentally sensitive lands? Because if you have stands of mature trees, or if you have floodway, or you have wetlands, stream corridors, these are not conducive to agriculture. So the more of those you have on your property, the less suitable your land is for agriculture. So we've got the background. We did a lot of background work on it. And actually, we kind of stopped right when we were getting ready to try to put the judgmental provisions in to say, um, we look at national commodity crop production indexes. How much crop land does the NRCS assume this property can produce? But we have to be able to give it a grade. Is that great? Is it good? Is it poor? And so that's where the ground truthing came in. And um, we're, we'd like to come and do a maybe a mid-month and go through and just run through the Lisa and show you how we find these figures and plug them into our chart and show you where we are now looking at properties, but it could change once we do this ground truthing. You know, we may find out that in Douglas County, uh, 5,000 for range is great, and we should give it a high level of protection. But until we get to doing the ground proofing, we really can't tell. And in the memo, I provided some comments that were provided by one of the commissioners on the ad hoc committee who had concerns with the way the um, Lisa was being established. You know, um, he didn't want us to use negative numbers, and we could adjust that and not use negative numbers. It's just that if you have a lake, it is a negative. It's not good farmland. And we wanted to make sure it was clear if you have two properties, one's 80% lake, it's going to score lower than the property that's 100% farmland. So it may involve using negative numbers or just manipulating the numbers so that we could have higher positive numbers and then using lower positive numbers would have the same effect as using negative numbers if that's something we're opposed to. So there were several concerns raised, which some of them are very good points and we would take those into account as we move forward. But um, so we have three options that we're suggesting that I'd like you to consider today. One is uh, to uh, assign a new ad hoc committee 
and staff in the ad hoc committee work with agricultural professionals to do this ground truthing um, so that we're not expecting the planning commission to be able to tell us yeah that that is pretty fair to middling farmland or that's great farmland when we don't really have the expertise staff doesn't have the expertise to do that but um, experts from the department of agriculture could help us um, the other option is to not do the ad hoc committee and just have staff work with the professionals and come back with um, the materials. And then the third option is if you want to just forget the Lisa system um, and delete it and suggest we move forward with a different kind of land evaluation system so we can evaluate the agricultural um, nature of a land because if someone wants to rezone out of agriculture to transitional agriculture we would not want to recommend approval if it was really high quality agricultural land okay thank you mary um well before i ask for a, a clarifying thing there is no public comment um listed for this item but i'm wondering if the people in the room had hope to comment on the Lisa you've been here with us for all night so <laughs> okay <laughs> okay <laughs> okay I just wanted to check Michael Almond's on Natalia oh okay Miss Lothar if you liked it and then yet then Michael Almond yes so just a brief comment yeah um I have not studied up on this because I've been total monofocus on the salvage yards. Uh, but I have some concerns about that I need to study this more because I think too often we think of agriculture in terms of row crops, cattle on pasture conventional, traditional forms of agriculture in Kansas. But land that might not look like it's good for agriculture compared to row crops and cattle might be ideal for vineyards. Um, as we deal with climate change, we need to be grazing animals under trees in forested areas um, because they need the shade. There's a lot of a lot of times specialty crops are just left out of the equation when I see like the uh, last time I was before you folks on the rezoning from agriculture to industrial. Um, you know, it was like, it's too small for ag. No, it's not too small for ag. There are people doing, making a living doing high quality agriculture specialty crops in backyards in North Lawrence in an area the size of this room can be a productive, high quality agricultural site. And I really don't want to end up having to defend my farm more because it's too small to be a viable farm. It's only too small if people are judging it by old standards of what is agriculture. Agriculture is changing a lot and it has to change. Um, so I have a lot more to say. I'd love to be on whatever committee you form. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Lowther. Thank you. 
Michael Allman. Hi, good evening, Michael Allman, Sustainability Action Network. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to speak. I didn't realize that initially wasn't the case. Um, we're, we're in favor of basically option two, to have staff work with the agricultural experts. It's really, you know, kind of their job to do this kind of detailed research work anyway. Um, this is a tool that I feel is a very important tool and it'd be a shame to throw it away at this point after what, three years of considering it and developing it. And staff has been working with it since early February, I think it was 2020, doing land truthing and site assessments. And they're getting requests from farmers to do the site assessments. Um, it's viewed as very important by a number of people. It's part of the National Resource Conservation Service. The platform is the Web Soil Survey. And staff has been developing the kind of parameters as overlays to include in that Web Soil Survey to do fine tuning and come up with a more detailed drill down to the special parameters that like, you know, the soil depth or the pH or the percent carbon content, organic matter, you know, add those layers so that we can uh, get a much clearer assessment beyond just capability one and two soil or beyond soil types, you know, like Sibleyville soil or Pawnee clay loam soil. It goes way beyond that and provides a lot more information to make informed decisions about whether a particular site is, is should be protected for, for agricultural productivity. Um, yes, the ground truth thing can be challenging. I, I know that, and that's why, um, you know, the, the staff isn't working on this methodology. Uh, there's, there's thousands of parcels in Douglas County, and I don't need if the, the tool itself needs to be developed for the entire county, at this point at least, maybe staff could work up the particulars and then use it on a case-by-case -case basis, which in effect they've already been doing in some zoning cases, as I understand. So maybe that should be your goal. Just have it there at the ready so that when there's an application for rezoning, a conditional use permit, a site plan, you can pull this tool out and add it to your toolbox. That's something that it seems like staff has already been doing and is capable of, of refining. And so let's have them work with some more agricultural experts and come up with those particulars. That's, I think, the wisest way to go at this point. Thank, thank you, Mr. Allman. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment? Not seeing any. Okay, we'll bring this to the dis commission for discussion. As I recall um, from discussing this years ago, <laughs> um, there were a few things that I just kind of found confusing, and I think you know supported this ad hoc committee because I thought it would lead to greater clarification. Um, one of them was, and this kind of, uh, Ms. Lowther got at this somewhat, that it seemed, as, as I recall, to be a single kind of linear scale, you know, high to low. Um, 
and I think something that's more multivariate would be really helpful. Something that's like, based on this land use, you know, it has this degree of suitability. Or based on this land use, it has this degree of suitability. Because we're trying to understand, I think, not just the agricultural productivity of a particular parcel, but like its suitability for rezoning and, and for, for non-agricultural use as opposed to agricultural use. Um, so, and I don't know, and I'm, I'm so happy that Ms. Lowther has already volunteered to uh, <laughs> consult with staff. But um, the other thing that I found as a geographer a little confusing is this whole question of what is the denominator when you're calcul when you're saying percentage of suitable versus unsuitable. And to me, for example, open water ought to be just discounted, just ignored, not considered unsuitable because to me, I think in, in trying to understand the um, the 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 productivity or the suitability of, of a particular bit of land, it's, it's, it's the, the land that has the potential of being productive. or It's not, and where buildings are, that should be discounted. It seems to me that, and, and forgive me, now I'm also falling victim to, to the time, but um, I, th I think more discussion is needed. I'm not necessarily volunteering for another ad hoc committee, but I, I do think that some definitional questions ought to be explored um, kind of as a precondition to more work. Sorry, that may, may not be very helpful, but it just seems to me that there are some like fundamental issues about how the scale works and what kind of land is being evaluated that, that could bear some more discussion. I agree. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Well, I, I, I go ahead first. I have a number of like some points and concerns I want to make about this. Um, but then I also have a question. Um, Miriam did mention uh, potential for a mid-month. So I'd like to bring that into the discussion of how that would work with staff working with agriculture experts, ad hoc, that kind of thing, where, where the mid-month fits in that whole process. But please. I, I, I was thinking that if we looked at everything that is in this room and analyzed everything in the room, but ultimately we were only going to make a decision about that piece of wood over there, how valuable is it to spend all the time looking at the entire county and every aspect of every square foot of the county, when it comes before us, that we would we would look at that particular project. It, will this help us if we look at everything? When we're is it, is it going to be productive when 99% of the county land we will 99.9 we will never deal with in this body to look at, so we would look at everything in the county, every parcel of land, all the overlays, when really we're talking, we, we need to just look at a small, minuscule portion of the county to make a decision. So I don't know, at this point, is our time, is the staff's time best spent doing that? I don't know. I might 
counter that on this whole question of a multivariate scale, and I don't know what it would be, but different types of agricultural use, right? That the diversity of the county would in fact call for um, at least ground truthing in different parts of the county. Maybe not the county as a whole, but understanding the, the character of different parts of the county so that you're not just basing your entire evaluation on just what you've already seen. So I think a survey of the, of the county, may not, maybe not every parcel in the county, but a, you know, a sample of uh, you know, across the county was, is, would be very appropriate. I think a mid-month is a great right. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, there were there were um, selections made um, to demonstrate the the use of Lisa as how how it's done now in the the packet. So I imagine it would be the ground truthing would be somewhat similar, where they would take samples, looking for low quality, high quality. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I actually have a number of problem, some some issues with the methodology um, used that I would I would like uh, to be considered um, and maybe brought back to um, a mid month. And one of the things I'm concerned about is that all the factors currently in the Lisa are uniformly weighted, um, so you get. There's a maximum of 10 points for the National Commodity Index and a maximum of 10 points for the farmland classification. So there's no weighting of those. Um, but actually, if you, if you look at, we now have, th in the current lease, we have three factors that involved land evaluation. So they're kind of getting weighted in the sense that the National Commodity Index, the farmland classification, and the, I forget what the third land evaluation is, all incorporate certain soil features. I'm gonna pull out pH as an example. So pH actually gets heavily weighted because it's in the model three times. Um, so I'm a little concerned that we have three very similar factors evaluating land and only one for site assessment. Um, so that's, uh, so they're not, they're all caps, so they're not uniformly weighted, but in a sense they are weighted because certain soil features are in there multiple times. So that's a thing I'm concerned about. I'm also, I'm concerned about the redundant factors for land evaluation, only one for site assessment. If you go into the LISA guidebook put out by the NRCS, they actually have one land evaluation factor and three site assessments. Um, and they're all weighted differently, each feature or factor in the model is weighted differently. So they're all on a scale of one to 100 or zero to 100, and each of those features is weighted. Um, so I'd, I'd kind of like to see what that looks like instead of the, this current system we have. Um, and as for the negative numbers, that was a concern that was brought up by a previous commissioner. The concern I have about that is that if you look at environmental features, an environmental feature is going to reduce the land evaluation in terms of its agricultural production. But if we're looking at a rezoning project, a rezoning case that comes before us, um, and you're thinking about going ag one to ag two or ag two to, to built environment, I mean, you're, you're actually taking a piece of land with nice environmental features and allowing it to be more likely to be developed because you're saying it's not good for agriculture. 
but it's got wetland, it's got native prairies on it, and it's got mature woodlands on it. So we're going to rezone that so it can be developable because it's not good agricultural land. That's how I read this with the negative numbers. So I'm concerned about that. I don't know if that's how that ends up with ground truffing, but that's a big concern of mine that we take a piece of parcel. That's not good for ag, because we don't want native prairie to be ag, but we certainly don't want to build a house on it either. So that's one of my, con that's my concerns. So those are my sort of methodology concerns. Mm. I put those out there um, for um, discussion. I would like to see this come back as a mid-month. Uh, I am not volunteering to be on an ad hoc committee either um, at this point. But <laughs> I am. That's true. Technically, I am on the ad hoc committee. Two remaining people, and so are you. Yes. Um, so. But should I just add one thing to what you said? There's <laughs> <laughs> one thing to add. I agree with what yeah. you said, by the way. But let's say you're a landowner mm -hmm. and you've had erosion, and maybe you've had years and years of row cropping. And so maybe your soil is not great, but um, the, it, you, you, it's classified as L1 and L2 because that's what it has been historically. And I know a lot of us on the commission take that, take that very seriously. When we see it's Ag1 or Ag2 and it's gonna be zoned for something else, we, we don't wanna take it out of agriculture. But maybe it's not, I mean, maybe it actually isn't great ag land, you know? And, but we put a lot of weight on it. So I think it's important that we, we if we're gonna rely on that Classification. I think the data supporting it has to be good data. I don't know that it always is good data. I think we just say it's Ag1, I mean, it's L1 soil or L2 soil, but maybe stuff has happened to the soil over the last 30 years to make it not, you know? I, I don't know how reliable that data is if we don't do something like Lisa is what I'm trying Well, you do get to some of that with the commodity index yeah. and the soil capability class and the farm and the farmland evaluation. The problem, well, the problem I have is that that's three different right. factors and some of the, some are even double or triple counted because they're all about the soil. Right. Um, now each one has additional features beyond the soil. Right. Um, but I don't know why, I mean, you could get at what you're saying just by using one of those indexes. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, do, you know, do we choose one of them? Or, but if we, if we combine them all, if we all mush them all together, then you're, you're heavily weighted sure. towards certain features of the land right. that are being double and triple counted or weighted. And I don't know how... Right. Right really legitimate that is for data analysis. And you're uh, flattening out the flattening out. value that each of these yeah. offers to the At the same level. Analysis, yeah. right. 10 points is the max you can I get. I put them any. on the same scale. Yeah, it's all on the same scale. And each individual factor is not weighted. You know, what's going to be more important? Erosion, right. um, uh, carbon sequestration, right. um, the soil type. Right. pH, what, what, what's going to be weighted. Right. And to try to make that statement and declare it going, that it's going to be applied across every evaluation we do in every circumstance. So we, we spent a lot of time, we just spent a fair amount of time, a couple of years ago now, we just spent a fair amount of time going through the tool and, and Greg, Commissioner Shanklin um, sent his comments in. Um, completely agree with your assessment on this. I don't think it's inconsistent with what uh, Greg was trying to say and what he just simply summed it up as um, uh, there's no way to tell if the final score is trustworthy. Trustworthy against what? I liked what uh, Michael Allman said, um, that it, 
And I, I actually left the work that we'd done with that same conclusion that if we can get this to a place, that it would be a great tool to have in the box. Not for the entire county in whole, but when we have a project that's coming up, that this, this might get to a place where it can provide some additional information. This is not a linear weighting. It's, it's all over the place. The reason you have to get the negative numbers is because the top three are 10, 10, and 9. I mean, on this one, this one, there's, there's five tens and eight and two zeros on the next one over. There's, and it, all of those are adjustable variables. So, so what are the right criteria? What should we have in place? And what, what do we need as commissioners to help us make a decision? Um, I have great faith and trust in staff. This is staff intensive, and the work at getting at the individual, I mean, actual on-site information to evaluate um, a piece of property is going to be very intensive. I'll also note that in every single case we sat down to use the tool, we had to have someone from IT with us to make the tool operate. Um, I'm sure we can mature past that, but, but it, my, my point is there's some complexity there. Um, I would recommend that mid-month might be great as a way to discuss and decide um, what priorities we think we need to bring into the conversation and that we want evaluated. And set, set this aside for just a minute as not trying to prove that we should or shouldn't do that, but let's talk about what we want to have as a commission. Um, in terms of information to make a decision to evaluate and then say does this provide it for us yeah. and if it does then great let's ask staff or, or, or panel a couple more people that have a passion and a love for soil that can you know and a knowledge that can help us get there that's what I recommend and obviously not just like does this do this but can this or something similar or modifications of this do this, right? Like I heard a lot of really great things tonight that might not be taken into consideration with, with this. Um, I think um, what Natalia had to say about the variety of agriculture and how it's changed. I don't know enough about the current tools to say it does or doesn't um, represent that. But I, th I think I wouldn't ex this just because it doesn't, but instead think about how do we incorporate whatever we decide is necessary into this because I certainly think that something like this would be very helpful one two I hear staff referring to it right so they're they're using it and finding it helpful in some way and staff has brought this and one of the suggestions is they continue to work on it so before making assumptions that this isn't helpful or this is too staff intensive I would most certainly want to hear like their their thoughts on this and also then for some of the newbies like or at least me um are all we doing is evaluating oh this soil is really good I mean I don't know that we need a huge complex tool to figure that out there might be easier ways but are there things in there that actually would be very very helpful because when some of the things that we've seen small pieces of land that are being taken out of ag and and rezoned like I'd like a much better way of evaluating and having that conversation and knowing what that means for um, other decisions and for the county more than like the conversation that we had on that particular piece of chunk right, of land, right? Yeah. Um, so that and that all seemed very almost subjective and very specific to who's currently on it and how it's currently being used. And it'd be nice to have a system to allow us to think generational, like future generations. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
as I was thinking about this, and I talked to Commissioner Rexroth about this earlier in the week, when I think about this, you've got this huge database, basically, that's going to have all this data, and somebody's got to populate it. It's only as good as the day it's been populated. Something could change tomorrow, change that soil, and, and we're right back to square one where we are now. I'm not saying this is a bad tool. I think it's a great start, but um, if let's say we go against Charlie here and we, and we, do, we map out literally every square foot of the county, we know what the end of my driveway is like versus the back of the 50 acres, and, but something happens. Or, or 50 years down the road, I, we, we sell it to somebody else. Is it going to be exactly the same, the, the end of my driveway, the composition, everything that's it's now been packed up, or the back 50? And it's, that, that's my concern is how does it get updated, all that process? Because it's a great tool for that point in time, but how does it change? And again, I like the idea of a mid-month to talk about this, because it's 10 <laughs> Uh, we are being asked to make um, a recommendation for going forward with this. Um, I don't know, Mary, um, in terms of your timeline, uh, you mentioned the mid-month. Um, how would this play out um, in your mind? Um, in my mind, if, it depends on what you want at the mid-month. If you want us to come and just give you an example of how you use the Lisa and what we have so far, and then you could have a discussion of what else should we have. And before that mid-month, we could look out and see what other communities are doing. Are there other factors? Because that would be helpful to provide you is what other parameters could there be? And, um, and then we could bring that to you. That way we could illustrate how the system that we have so far works and show you how other places, what other parameters they use. Maybe we can even develop a, an alternate, you know, and, and use different parameters uh, to get you thinking on that. I know you've mentioned different things you're interested in looking at, pH, soil depth, and those aren't part of our parameters unless they're embedded in some of the other that we use. They are so I would embedded. Say just bringing all the information to you, Delisa, and then maybe some alternatives to get your conversation started. And then you could let us know kind of what route you want us to take. So we pick option four. That, so that yeah, that would essentially be a different an option four. So we would do a mid month first before then deciding how to move forward, whether it be an ad hoc having staff work with experts, um, or just disbanding the effort altogether. And if we so some point, some component of the conversation where the commission's giving feedback on the values, the characteristics, the the approach that that we would like to see to help us make land use decisions. Yeah. And not just us, but also staff. Like, I'd like to hear sure. what, mm -hmm. sure. like, how For this sure. is helpful. So, like, also, like, Mary, just, like, what are the goals? Like, what is the objective of using this tool for you? And, like... Um, so not just like how it would be helpful for us. I mean, obviously. I don't mean I don't mean to leave either party out. Exactly. I just want to make sure that, that make sure on that, the agenda yeah. that we also hear from staff because I know those mid moths get pretty quick. Yeah. And forgive me for raising, which is something that's probably completely redundant. But in as part of this discussion, and you're showing how you would use this or how this has been useful to you, if you could bring at least like three distinct examples that are quite different 
because getting back to my assertion about the linear scale, I'm talking about this grand total, which to me seems like a meaningless number. I would really, I would want to look at each of the scores and not even try to weight them the same, but just look at them distinctly, cut out the entire lower left corner of this of this graphic. Take away the protection values and the protection ranking and just look at the individual factors in a comparative Exactly. Um, that's that's what I concluded as well. Okay. Yeah. And just so the commission knows, we only put three options out there to start the discussion. We figured there's probably at least 17 more that we didn't <laughs> list. So you don't worry about going off the, off the three. <laughs> Would that be a tabling this then? There's really nothing pending necessarily in front update, of us. We don't really have to, we're not being asked necessarily to take action. Nope. And we've got, I think we've got enough direction and understanding where the commission would like us to go with that one. So we'll look at a look at the mid-month calendar. We'll look at getting that scheduled. And then based upon when that falls in mid-month, we'll bring this back for a future discussion for you all to kind of give guidance on at a business meeting. Yes, thank you. Mary, is that enough um, direction? And I, I do think that seeing how other communities have used this would be very valuable. You mentioned having that as a big part of it. Okay, thank you. Um, any further discussion on this before? Nope, okay. Can I have a motion to recess until Wednesday, please? So moved. Second. Any discussion? Discussion. Jeff, could you call the vote, please? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Kelso? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 10 to 0. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Just, <laughs> just to see. <laughs>